This is an Age of Sigma podcast, which may contain explicit language. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Mortally Wounded. I'm your host, Chris Welfare, and joining me again is Dan Brewer. Hi. So, sorry it's been quite a gap since the last episode, so I was very conscious I probably needed to. It's been busy, there's been a lot been happening in the scene since um, we last recorded. I think the last episode was in May, and it's now September, so um, there's been a bit. The main thing that's happened in that time was also around Sydney Slaughter um, in June, so... Um, we're going to kind of do a bit of a wrap-up the tournament in general um, and chat chat through that. And I thought Dan was a, a pretty good guest to get on, um, seeing as you placed quite well at the tournament, didn't you, Dan? I was what was available. What was available? Yeah, you broadcasted your own shortcomings. <laughs> um, I did okay. How did you do? I came second. You came second, which, as always, Dan, Dan Brewer is now the Bridesmaid Award, officially, I think. You've got how many seconds now? Six. Six second places. Yeah, so, seven if you count a team tournament. <laughs> so yeah, Dan, the bridesmaid brewer, I think will be your guest name now on this show. Um, so yeah, we're basically just gonna chat mainly about slaughter, and then we're gonna just catch up, talk about everything else that's kind of been happening in the scene in general. We've got some upcoming events, if we've been doing any hobby progress and stuff towards that, um, and then I think a lot of people probably will have seen Honest War Gamer Rob Symes posted some. Um, really cool kind of tournament stats that were compiled together from a few events um, by a bunch of guys, I think, over in the US and with some UK events in there as well. So we're kind of just going to talk about that, um, the top ones in the meta, talk about the ones that are appearing at the top, why they're strong, what sort of builds we think will be contributing to those and, and what kind of builds you can expect to see from those lists that the stats are kind of telling you that it's um, coming up against. So let's just crack straight into a hobby progress. Yeah. Looking at me, do you want me to say something? Sure. sure. <laughs> um, so, Dan, what have you been working on recently? Tomb Kings. Tomb Kings. I haven't played a game of 2.0 in this game at all. I've just been playing Tomb Kings, uh, Death in general. If people are picky about playing Compendium, I've used Legions and the Gash, but for the most part I've been playing Tomb Kings. That's kind of it. I'm currently at the minute of last minute painting some chariots for Moab and RCGT. Um, so, yeah, they're two upcoming events. So we've got RCGT 3 up in... Um, Redland City, which is up in um, Brisbane. Brisneyland. In <laughs> Brisneyland. In two weeks' time. I think that's the 22nd, 23rd. Yep. The following weekend is Moab, which is a 2K tournament in Sydney, so the Sydney GT. Yep. So Evan and Evan Dennett from um, and the Thunderstrike Brotherhood, so I think en- Evan's running it with Andrew's um, Oldfield's help, and they're putting on RCGT, so this is the third year. Um, it's really popular event. It easily sold out the fifty players. I think there was that was a funny one. There yeah. was lots of people asking for um, more tickets to be opened up. So there's definitely a lot of interest. But um, for the venue, Evan has and everything, which is great. He wants to keep it at fifty players, which I think is fine. I think fifty is more than enough. So, um, but there's definitely a lot of um, a lot of interest because this is a, a the, probably the main two and a half k event in the Australian. Yeah, it seems to be the annual two and a half k. Yeah, in, in the Australian calendar. So um, that's quite cool. You get to take a, a slightly bigger list and try out a bit more that you wouldn't normally get to use at 2k um, yeah, which is which is fun I've been every year so the first year I went along um, that was the one I won that was my first event and then 
went last year um, with Guardians of Valerial just to have a bit of fun. Came back to the road, and so this year I'm going to try and compete again with um, my corn. So we'll see how we go there. That's where I got one of my seconds last year. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that should be really fun. There's a bunch of us travelling up from Sydney, what, eight or nine of us or so? Within our group, yes, I think there's others too. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a good contingent travelling up, and obviously most of the Toowoomba guys, I think, will be heading down um, down the mountain. Um, which, and then um, they'll be going so catch up with Clint and all those guys as well which would be cool um, so yeah we've got that in two weeks and then as Dan said the week after we've got Moab uh, well Sydney GT at Moab which is a, um, an annual gaming convention at Sutherland Shire um, here in Sydney and um, Anthony Magro is running that um, for the first time me and Clint ran the team's event there last year um, but with things kind of going on this year we decided we couldn't both commit to it this year so passed on the reins and Anthony's putting on a, a GT and um, it, he's smashing it he's got 70 players I think signed up yeah I think RCGT is 50 and Moab is 70 so 70 is going to be Sydney's biggest event yeah um, so that's really cool um, I'm looking forward to it I think you've got some of the South Australian guys are coming up I think Michael from Doom and Darkness is coming up for it um, yeah and I think a bunch of Queensland guys are coming down for it, so promises to be a really good event, which is cool. I had he's been working very hard with terrain and stuff. Yeah, he's he's doing a lot of terrain and stuff, and the player pack in general, you can see he's putting a lot of effort into it. He's got all these schemes, will be interesting as secondaries, uh, and also his sponsors. He's got a huge amount of sponsors as well, so sounds really cool. So yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward. Well, to that Evan one. got Maccas last year, so if Evan to beat that. Evan is the sponsor king, so he gets everything, but. Um, it sounds like Anthony's got a lot of support as well. I know he's got Element Games from the UK supporting. They've sent over a load of their movement trays and stuff like that, which is really cool as prizes. Um, I'm hoping to try and do quite well because it sounds like there's going to be some good loot. So um, I wonder what second place will be, Dan. I'll throw it out. <laughs> don't, don't throw it away. Chris hates the fact that I throw everything away. So. Well, yeah, it's just wasteful. Yeah. Money-wise and otherwise. I threw Shadespire out and Chris is absurd. <laughs> yeah, it's like it wasn't just Shades Fire, it was like how many warbands plus the Bane box. I didn't get plus, all the warbands. Plus you threw away trophies as well, like I had too many. <laughs> too many second places, oh my god. I had a couple of first places as well. Yeah. Anyway, um, triggered. Yeah, but I had this I moved house, I had this stash of trophies, it's in my corner. It literally was a stash and I was like, I can't take this across with me, this is gonna take up too much space. Call yourself a Skaven player, you're supposed to hoard everything. But um, probably in, in my bin somewhere, so if you wanna dig out for them if you want to. <laughs> So, um, what are you taking for? So, you're taking your Tomb Kings to um, RCGT and Moab. And Moab. Yes. Um, Do you want to talk about your lists? Because, well, your list for RCGT because it's been submitted. Yeah, I've committed to that now. One of the reasons I've committed to it is because it'll make me actually pay my. Um, I'm not the only Tomb Kings player going because Snick Daddy Blake Kowak is bringing 15 Necropolis Knights. Oh, that's gross. Um, I, have, I offered to lend him another 15 if he needed them, but he said he was good. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, I'm bringing, um... How many points is that? Just for the snake? 15. Uh, They're 243. So that's 1,200. It's yeah. about 1,300 points of snake. Ugh. Um, I'm bringing Tomb King and Exalted Chariot. So, etc. With a cloak of Mist and Shadows. And Red Fury. Amazing! Uh, then I'm bringing a Vanilla Tomb King. A Necrotect. A Tomb Herald. Um, a Mint Tomb. Vanilla. Yes. Honeycomb Lich Priest. And a, and a strawberry lich fruit. My second lich fruit. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just naming my favourite ice cream flavour. 
Um, two units of ten legionnaires, five skeleton horsemen, which are probably my favourite unit out of everything, because they're really fast and just, they're really shit and do no damage, but they're really good at tying things up and just yeah, being they, a roadblock. they died to five spite revenants. Yeah, they did. Um, the amount of times that I've just tied people up with them there. Uh, six chariots, which is what I'm painting. Um, six Ushapti with great, six Necropolis knights and fifteen tomb guards. So plenty of drops, but... A lot of threats. As very well. fast, too. Yeah, you've got multiple very fast units. Cetra is still amazing, especially with the items you've got. They have ranged um, damage, which is why they're better than Legions of the Gash and, and Fleshy the um, <laughs> Yeah, well, Fleshy is... Hashtag best death. Fleshy is a pretty... I, free I, th I think Legions of the Gash. I think Grand Host is still better now that you've got... Now that, like, Grand Host just being able to bring back units of Grimgast Reapers and stuff like that for a command point and all the endless spells and the stuff that Nagash can do. I s yeah. I'll play Grand Host too. Uh, I'll play them. I don't mind. Someone's got Grand Host going to RCG2 or Moab, will happily play you and with Tim Kings. So. <laughs> well, there you go. We've heard it from Daddy's confidence. So. Um, Deke. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then I am taking my corn. So, yeah. Again, lists of missions are done. So I chat through it. I think I've probably talked about it before. But... I am taking a double battalion, so I'm taking Gore Pilgrim, Corn, and then I am taking Skullseeker Host. So that's a Bloodthirster of Incense at Rage, which in my opinion is easily the best one, because he's very cheap, 60 points for the damage he can do. He is squishy though, so if people have shooting, they'll just kill him and he's crap. But, um, and minuses to hit hurt him, um, because he only hits on fours. Um, but you can buff the hit rolls. Um, but there's him, um, the Skullseeker Host is him, a... Bloodmaster, Herald of Corn, Demon Hero, um, two units of Blood Crushers, um, so they're just two threes, and then a unit of, well, one to three units of Skull Cannons, so I've gone for one unit of threes, um, because they can be buffed, and they're amazing. Um, and yeah, you need to shoot pretty much any army if you want to be competitive, I think. You need some kind of range. Did you just saying Grand Host and the Gash was really good? You need ago? kind of some ran range threat. Yeah, they've got spells and portals. They have debuff some... spells, that's it. Yeah. Their range damage spells only really happen on a separate roll anyway. That's why they suck. You've also got, you've also got Nagash's <laughs> own ones and stuff like that. That's it though. <laughs> but generally, it just whenever you're building an army, you don't want to just be one-dimensional. And a lot of people just go, they go, Corn is a combat army, but actually, I think Skull Cannons are incredible for their points. So a unit of three of them that can be buffed with an allied in Chaos Sorcerer Lord with to re-roll hits, wounds, and saves of one, and you can buff their hit rolls. They're self-buffing against units of ten or more, so they, hit, they run two damage to... They're pretty good in combat, especially if you buff their hit rolls, because their Hellblades do mortal wounds. And then if they kill, if they do any wounds with the gnashing maws in combat, they get to shoot it. So, and then in the Skullseeker host, they can shoot in the hero phase. Do you so, think they've been weakened at all by the fact you can only shoot what you're in combat with? Because if you're in combat and do damage, you're shooting what you're in combat with. Possibly, but at the same time, I probably would shoot what I was in combat with. It free me up, so I can move around, because I don't want to be retreating and... Because if I retreat, I can't shoot. So I'd probably just... If I'm still in combat with something, then I'll... But, um, but yeah, the Skullseeker host, basically, what that lets me do is it lets the Skull Cannons shoot in the hero phase. So I can shoot six shots a turn with them all buffed and rend. And they're pretty reliable from 30-inch range, and they move eight. So they've got a big threat as well. So they're in there. And then Gore Pilgrims, which is the Blood Secretor, um, And then I've got all three Slaughter Priests. Uh, so for the prayers, I've gone for two Bronzed Flesh and one Killing Frenzy. So one plus one to hit and two plus one to save. Um, and then I put a Bloodstoker in to whip probably the Bloodthirster to give him plus three to his um, run and charge rolls and reroll. Run or charge rolls. And or. It just says or, doesn't it? It's in the FAQ. Yeah. It's always been played that way as well. So. Yeah, someone um, only pointed that out to me. Yeah, it? oh. it's in the FAQ. It's always been that way that it works. 
either and or whichever com- both whichever combination you want all all the above um, most but yeah so to give him plus three move um, and on, well sorry plus three to charge and re-roll ones to wound um, so there's enough combos in the list where basically I can have that bloodthirster hitting on twos re-rolling ones wounding on twos re-rolling ones with a two up armor save re-roll um, and he's got Gaia Strike which is plus one to hit plus one to wound so his wound rolls of five or more will explode into um, eight-inch AOE mortal wounds, which start at three to every unit. Every enemy unit within eight will take three mortal wounds on a wound roll of five plus. And then the command rate I've given him is any wound roll of a six or more. So again, that will happen on fives. He does the attacks. The weapon's damage characteristic in more. So he'll do D6 mortal wound, a D6 attack. Isn't the wound thing just an unmodified six? No. What was that we concluded? So the unmodified thing that um, has been a bit of a change because of one of the old FAQs being is the um, Crimson Crown. It says hit rolls of six generate extra attacks. So now that the FAQ has been removed to say that six is synonymous with six plus, it basically means that any of the rules that... There's a few of the old rules, so Crimson Crown is one of them, and then the Witherstave, I think, is another one from about that time, the Nurgle kind of corn books, before they've gone to the new books where they've written in unmodified or any rule now that they want to stack says 6 plus or says 6 or more. So the few rules where it just says a dice of a 6, now that 6 is treated as a 6, it's a dice roll, so it's before modified, um, that it just happens on a 6. So it's effectively, if anything now just says a 6, it's an unmodified dice roll. So unfortunately I can't stack his uh, plus to hit to get him getting extra attacks on was my plan originally but that's not happening now um but it, so it does pull corn down a little bit because i think you were seeing crimson crown plus pluses to hit giving extra attacks on bloodthirsters in a lot of strong lists and it was very very strong um so i do think that hit pulls them down a slight tier but i think it's probably fair because most other books don't have stackable buffs especially with how easily corn can get plus to hit that stacks on you because the plus to hit will still stack it's just you don't get the ability buff which i think is fair mm-hmm. so he hits on fours and he re-rolls ones when he charges so i can still give him plus two to hit one from the guy strike and then if i put my plus one to hit prayer on him i can still give him plus two to hit so he'll hit on twos re-roll ones but he'll only be generating extra attacks on a six if he's that's reliable enough anyway we'll see my plan is to try and smash some people with it um can you run and charge he can't run and charge which is why I put the Bloodstoker in to give him plus three. He's moving ten? He's moving ten. And his command ability is that him and all corn demons within eight of him can re-roll first. So if, with the whip, if we're eighteen apart, it's a five it's a five up re-rollable charge. Which is why I put the Bloodstoker in, because originally I had a unit of ten blood warriors, and then I was like I You don't think a wrath of corn would have he just doesn't do the damage though that the bloodthirster gets. Oh, he to send up the other bloodthirster. Yeah, but then you can't take the list. It doesn't, oh. You can't put the extra. No more cannons. Wrath of Cor- exactly. So it, fall- it falls apart. Um, so <coughs> nah, I went for five less blood warriors in order to get a bloodstoker just to make that bloodthirster a bit more reliable on getting in. And the reroll ones to wound is also super useful because he wounds on twos. So any of those ones you roll, you're like, ah, because I rolled. I think when I played Liam with it, I rolled like two ones, and I was like, god damn it, they could have been so much more damage. But is that just in your turn, real ones, or is it until your next hero? Two next hero. Uh, Necrotechnal turn. Oh boo. Oh my. You'll be dead anyway. Exactly, your snakes will have just murdered him. Yeah, my ten times. You don't even need snakes to kill him. No, not if I've got a two armor save. No, I don't think that'll happen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if my prayers go off, it'll happen. You can't shut them down. They're not spells. Let's kill your priests. How are you going to kill them? Light over your bloodthirster. I'm not going to let you. I'm going to have models around my models. 
No, I'll just say, knock your drink over so you turn around and move, <laughs> move your shit. So cheating. The cheating is dancing. That's how I get my seconds going. Okay. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that's that's my list with a couple of units of Blood Warriors and Blood Reavers just to fill out my battle line. Um, and the Gore Pilgrims for me. Priest's still the most um, undercosted thing in the game. So, yeah. You had queens. It's a three or four drop list, I think. Four drops. Uh, so, yeah, that's my list. Anyway, um, so I've... Clint's painting up my corn army. I've commissioned him to do that, so I've not really been painting much, but I'm getting the bases ready for those new models. The Blood Crushers and the Bloodthirster. Um, so ordered some more milliput today because I've run out, which doesn't help when I need to roll green stuff bases. Um, but I can, you can do that. I can do them in an afternoon. Yeah, so um, I've got more pressure than you. I'm not worried. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not like I've got to paint six chariots really nicely. So, um, Five have done one. But um, yeah, so that's other than that, I've just been building lo- like all my night haunts. Uh, so I'm pretty much. I've got. I'm up to the point where I want to start building my dread scythe harridans. Because I finished building my 24 mine wall. Um, so I'm going to build the 10 dreads, dread scythes. And then I will probably build Linda. And then I might build my black coat. Um, although I'll probably try and build everything towards the list I want to play. Which I think will probably be the banshee list. So I need to build a coven. So I'll do that so that I can get it all done. And I'll probably do all the bases. And get them all glued down to the bases. Uh, so that I can stop. I'm also supposed to be painting my Nurgle for the uh, Tale of Four gamers that we're doing. But that's kind of gone on a bit of a backburn. Biggest difference with me and Chris is Chris owns every army. I only own two. I've only ever owned two. I probably will only ever own two. <laughs> um, no, you're talking about getting deep kit. No, I was looking at lists. I have no intention of buying any deep kit. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, everything I've been working on. So there's lots going on. I quickly built and painted and based 20 dryads. Liam's event and Gods of War, which was a couple of weeks ago now. So, yeah. Okay, I think we might take a quick break and then we'll come in and we will cover all things Sydney Slaughter 2018. And we're back from the second break. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, yeah, we're just going to have a chat about Sydney Slaughter 2018 that ran in June over the Queen's birthday weekend. Um, so this was the second year of me running it. Um, I moved venues, so we had 42 players, which was double what we had the first year, so I was pretty happy with that. I had 50 spots available, but I'm pretty pleased, actually, with 42. Um, in the end, I don't think I would run more than 50 on my like without help again, because I, I, I think I managed, it's but it was, um, it was a lot of running around. Um, to man- and the venue we had was, I think it was good. I thought it was fine for 42 people, but uh, I think we would have struggled getting um, a few more tables we'd needed. To it was quite spacious. But I, I thought it was good. fine. I think we could have spaced it. I've played in events. You would have crammed a few more tables in if you yeah. needed to, but you would have started to. And I mean, I've I've played in quite a lot of events where the tables are literally next to each other, like so. There's no the the two edges to like touch the short edges touch, so you just like in a row. So we didn't have that. So I think there was enough space really. Yeah, there was spaced out, but in terms of going over fifty, I wouldn't do it at that venue again, just because it the room's not big enough for more. It was purpose fit. Um, but yeah, so but. That was at Ashfield um, in Sydney, so um, it was quite quite a good location, I felt, generally. Um, it was next to the train station, had a car park and everything, so had food. Um, there was a bit of a kerfuffle with the kitchen on the first day, unfortunately. We're not ready for everybody, um, and uh, it meant we had to extend lunch by about 45 minutes in the end, I think, so that everyone could eat. It's fine. 
we got it done and uh, they were much better on the second day after I had a word so <laughs> I don't mind the longer breaks I don't mind that that one was a longer day either I don't know if it affects some people's willingness to attend but um, yeah. I'd rather have more breaks more time and kind of more spaced out more chilled rather between games anyway oh, I'm the same and I mean I allowed two 45 if not three hours per game plus 15 minute breaks plus yeah, an hour I think that's lunch. good because um, tournaments like it sucks if you lose because you run out of time yeah Especially if you can tell the direction the game is going. Sometimes an opponent is slow or learning or I don't know, a lot of models to move that they're not quite used to or whatever. Yeah. Um, things that can be outside of your control without anyone really doing anything wrong. So. And especially with Slaughter, because I do custom scenarios, I'm well aware that even though I put the scenarios out there for everyone to read up on before the event, I was well aware that a lot of the people there, and most of them, to be honest, it would probably be the first time they were playing most of the yeah, actual games. So, so. <laughs> I think just having that extra bit of time just helped. And there wasn't really many games that, or not consistently, many games that were running out of time. So I think the only trouble is the people that finish early, or that even finish on time. If you have an hour and 45 minutes for lunch and your lunchtime you are waiting around a bit. I don't mind that at all. I personally don't, but to... some people, if they've got to get going and they're planning on the day finish at 7 or whatever, because I think I'd already planned that it was going to be going later than most of the extra time in the games. It was supposed, it was to, be, it was supposed to be going on until 7, and I think the last game finished at 7.45. And then I did a quiz, and I think by that point, everyone wanted, they wanted to go get dinner, and the quiz ended up being a lot later so I, I think you need to commit your whole day to it really if finishing at 705 rather than 7 on the top affects you maybe don't come yeah I, I sort of agree um, but these things happen uh, and at the end of the day if you are like well I need to go your game can just finish but in terms of everything you can finish early anyway in you terms can finish of an hour else, in yeah well yeah I mean if you Win want, quicker. if you want to be Luke and just yeah. take Scryer and have 10 minute games yeah. but yeah no, it's the balance now, so you can't do that anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't say that balance. You'd still do it. You might just you lose after ten lose minutes. <laughs> but um, yeah, total so, commitment with Clan Sky. See how you go with that. So um, yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, Sydney Slaughter is the event that I Sydney's laughter. I will, <laughs> I will run every year. Um, it's always going to be on the Queen's birthday um, long weekend here in New South Wales. So the venue is the only thing that changes. I think I've already probably found the venue for next year that I would like to go with, uh, which is Padstow RSL. I went there through Company... It's the new kind of home venue of Company of Dice, which is one of the other um, gaming clubs here in Sydney, and it's massive. They're normally in one of the smaller rooms, but they had their birthday meet uh, last month, I think, and we went along, and the hall, the main hall, is absolutely massive, and it's it's tiered, which is quite cool, I think, for tournaments. So you could literally have top tables being higher up. Um, Losers at the bottom. And stuff like that. But um, I think you could easily fit 80 people, if not more, into that space. So I think next, yeah, I think so too. I think next year I will have an 80-person cap, and it will be at Padstow RSL. Which hopefully, if I can arrange that with Company of Dice, they also can do uh, like a pre-ordered buffet catered lunch which I might try and do so that lunch is included in the ticket um, and stuff like that because I think that can really help people if they know that lunch is already sold and also because it's a buffet they can go and it's it's prepared for them so you can just go and get it as soon as you finish your game you haven't got to go and wait in order and, and stuff like that so it looks really good it's near a train line it's got a car park so it's everything I kind of wanted uh, so yeah I think that will hopefully be the location next year so I'm going to start working on things for that but um, the other thing I do that's that, well, the thing I do, I guess, for Sydney Slaughter that makes it probably one of the destination tournaments, hopefully, certainly in terms of having a point of difference, I write custom scenarios for it um, with a bit of a narrative flowing through them. 
there was more narrative. I actually wrote kind of a full story the first year, whereas this year I, I was inspired by an actual series of books that I've been reading, um, Stormlight Archive. So I wrote five scenarios based off the Stormlight Archive series. So kind of there was some narrative element flowing through it that anyone that had read those book series would pick up. But there wasn't. it's not a narrative event. It's definitely billed as a full competitive event. And I think the lists that people brought kind of reflect as well. So, yeah, that's something that I need to get cracking um, on. And, um, yeah, Dan, I mean, generally, how did you find I know that there were some issues with some of them, um, and I'm like, I don't there to be. Issues. I had mixed feelings with the custom scenarios, and that I felt like uh, I liked the concepts of them. But I felt each one maybe had like something extra random tacked on to the end of it that didn't need to be there that overcomplicated it or swung the swing of it so far in terms of randomness that sometimes you could lose and do everything completely right, and I don't think that should ever be in them but I think the ideas some of the different deployments are really good some of them were really interesting concepts that, uh, I think they were, as a whole they were really really good uh, just in each one there would be something I would remove from each of them mm. and generally speaking that was either a random element which would be outside the player's control or um, just an extra thing to think about really so I, I would simplify them would be my biggest feedback but as a whole I, I really enjoyed them but I, I did find a uh, one thing, I, and this is a compliment about it, is if you look at all the lists and who did well, it's if you read them, and I don't know how many people really read them <laughs> properly, is that you, it, the obvious thing to me playing, looking at them was to, because I was going to bring a scryer, and it was quite clear to me that you needed to tailor your list to hero-focused uh, objectives, like three of the scenarios involved here. Uh, one of them is just wipe your opponent heroes out, pretty much, um, or like favourable scoring, or whatever it may be, so um, I definitely tweaked what I was going to bring entirely, so I went from, kind of, I was just going to bring two Arch Warlocks and a Warlock Engineer to bring two Vermin Lords and uh, an Arch Warlock and some Foot Heroes, so um, I definitely tailored what I was bringing towards the scenario, and I think that maybe caught a couple of players out who maybe didn't read the pack as well as they should have, or um, even looking at the scoring criteria as well, I could see that um, as the year before, and I think this probably favoured me, this is the last event I took my skate scoring high victory points, which I always think should be a tiebreaker before kill points, for the record, because um, it should shows your performance in the game, um, played a huge factor, almost more than winning to a certain degree. If you were to win every game but have very low victory points, or you could scrape a win by or have a couple of draws or minors in there but score very high in victory points, you'd get rewarded more for the higher performance, which I think should always be a thing. I mean, going off topic, my biggest gripe with sort of tiebreakers is often kill points, because Say, like, me and you play two different people, we play Border War, you win, like, 7-6, I win 50-0, to zero, or 45-0, to zero, which is the maximum you can get. There is no differentiation in there whatsoever when it comes to tie-breaking, and there definitely should be. So I really like how um, your format did that, and I think the scenarios encouraged people to play this. Um, the custom scenarios definitely encourage people to try and pick up as many points as possible, and it also gives you an incentive of, you can be behind in a game and losing, but you're like, oh... At least I can still get like another five points out of this, or yeah, less incentive to just stop playing and yeah. walk off. Um, and that was the thing, like, because yeah, I never kill points never came into it. I think potentially they were like the third tier tie break, so that literally didn't come into it. Um, but yeah, I, it's something that I I always do in my scoring where you get a ten nil system, so major win you get ten, major loss you get zero, and then seven three for a minor, and then five five for a draw. And then, and my scenarios, you could draw, 
I think in pretty much all of them there was a draw option. Um, it didn't just go. I hate the general scenarios where it's like if you draw on the uh, the tie points, like you've played the actual scenario the same, but one person has killed more, and it's so rare that you'll ever draw on kill points. It's like that person wins a minor victory. That's also another reason why kill points should not be a yeah. secondary objective because it can it de- it can determine who wins. Again, the game so anyway, so why twice. should it then be... Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, so in mine, uh, you get points based on how you play the scenario. So if you've got the same points in the scenario, then you have drawn. So you get a draw. Um, the other thing is if you win a major too quickly, you kind of stop yourself having the opportunity to accumulate more kills. Exactly, and that's um, another thing you have to consider is do you want to get do you want to get the major win and get 10-0, but the game ends when you get the major win... Or do you want to risk trying to get more points, but your opponent might be able to then stop you getting a major if you keep playing the game on victory points? So yeah, exactly. The whole reason that I actually did well on that is the fourth game I had was against Scott Norwood's each army, and um, I could have gone for a major, and but I had five out of the six objectives pretty much most of the game and just accumulated a very, very high score and leapfrogged probably half the event just off that game alone. But mm. just played around him so much. So Yeah. Um, it is worth saying, obviously, the... The victory points, I always have a cap. Um, yes, as well. only a few so players that, seem to hit them. So that, yeah, I think the cap was appropriately set. It was set at 70 points across yeah. the five scenarios, and I think about 10 to 15 people possibly hit the cap out of 42. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of people that completely smashed the cap, and then a couple of people that were just over scraped the cap. The cap. I think I so, scraped the cap. Yeah, you were just over the cap by four. Um, but then if you take somebody else... They the the person that did the best exceeded the cap by thirty six. Yeah, but so, there's still an incentive to get a major win that way, though, because the cap will freeze at seventy. Yeah, so once you've got yeah. to your cap, then, and then yes, the you majors still need to be will to the start major. to add up. Um, I've got three majors and a minor win. So um, the cap and then Olympics. Yeah, and then obviously <laughs> a sports and painting. I have is like important at my events as well, like the painting room. I think it's fairly standard now across events in Australia that painting rubric of generally I think that needs to change if your army I think it's already started to change and I'd already thought about how I would change it which is just make more points available but still have the cap the the, the Um, one thing in that rubric that annoys me is there's a painting one for like layering and things like that which is two points and there's an advanced painting where there's up to three points available uh, for OSL, um, non-metallic metal and blending and stuff like that so if you don't have any of that there's three points you can't get it, it should just be an extra one on top of... It, yeah, I don't... I think that's people taking what's written too literally. Well, that's how it's certainly the way in I, previous events. Certainly the way yeah. I marked it. That advanced painting technique is basically just a scale of... It's something nice. No, I, I think you're missing what I'm saying. It's more like... Um, so you you don't, could, well, I'm saying you don't have to have OSL to get that point. You don't have to have non-metallic... It's not one point, it's three. It's yeah. not too bumped up to three by having those effects. It's you get two for normal and then up to three just for those techniques. And yeah. I think that's wrong. Because unless you have any of those things, you just get zero. You either get three, you get zero. And I've never seen people get one or two for that. Um, well, certainly you, at CanCon, nobody did. If you looked at the scores from when I marked people, you would station in that. Because yeah. if people had one element, I'd give them one. Or if it was just a generally really nicely painted army, I'd give them up to three. I that, think that's that what people don't a, do. Because yeah. th- you can have very basic layering, you get those two points. Or you can have a very advanced painted army that just doesn't have OSL or yeah. metallic metal in there. And there's no differentiation whatsoever. Uh, I'd also say I've seen, like, OSL, to me, is... I don't know if I categorise that as an advanced painting technique sometimes. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes it's definitely more of a shortcut. Um, also, that non-metallic metal done badly, I think it still requires, you know, there's some effort and time put into that that requires um, 
recognition of the shore, but I don't think if you include those, you should automatically get like max points, and that seems to be how people interpret it. I, I think um, there's definitely been a couple of events where I think people have taken it very literal, and I would really like to see that changed. Mm. But yeah, I think they're starting to change, certainly there's some, I think, more points available, but still a cap, and then there's others that don't have a cap, so Anthony's event, I noticed, I was reading the pack earlier, is paintings out of 30 not 20 and that's not a cap there's 30 points available and you can score up to 30 and it uses a similar so like i'm not going to be getting 30 i think i'll get 20 because you think that you know, generally you, the army is... board, you can be a shitty display board yeah. and you get points for it but, but you can have a really good display board and you get the same number of points for it that's kind of what i don't yeah but i think like. the whole point is if people have made it's it's effort basically it's to reward people for effort and to stop people just doing a Three colour, fuck it, shh, done. But that's my problem with it, it's effort. You could have like minimum effort on a display board where you've brushed it and you've just literally just bought a slab, sprayed it, that's it. Or you can do advanced detail and there is no differentiation whatsoever. So yeah. I would say effort is a huge thing. And also, like I said, the basing, layering and stuff like that, there's a huge disparity between effort between like several layers and like different sort of uh, line techniques and highlighting and stuff like that. Or just very basic bare minutes. That's a huge differentiation effort, and there is no sort of well, that's what sensitivity su- to that. Well, so. as I read it and how I mark it in my pack, that is what's supposed to be recognised in the additional. You're the exception. In the additional all. three, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. But in the way I do it, anyway, is that's the additional three you get for those people that are better. I've painters. always had max painting points, by the way. So I'm I'm hitting the criteria. It's just something that I've explored. But, but um. um I think there should be a cap for sure, though. I don't know if that's a mistake of his part. I, mm, I want. I do worry that that will. But then I say I worry that it will rule too much the people that are like, amazing painters. It's and become it an element of pay to win of, of, by just by display. Well, it's not or that because some of them are how well or... can you paint? But then again, you could pay someone to commission paint a really nice army or something where somebody that does it themselves might not have the skill to do it. I think you. Sh- I think painting points always need to come into a score as a way to stop to encourage people to bring fully painted armies if they want to do well. But I don't think it should be at the point where you. It will differentiate the people at the top if one of them is also a really strong like is a, a really really amazing painter but they do slightly worse i don't think that should i don't think the painting score i think it should definitely have an impact it's just um if somebody's like, brought I don't, fully, i'm not arguing that painting if somebody's be brought a, a fully tournament acceptable like good decent tabletop army and they win five games and someone brings an incredible masterpiece army and they win four games i don't think there should be enough points that the person that wins four games wins over the five games no, I, I guess the way. But that if the I'm person that brought five, what it wins five games, brings a bare three minimum, three color minimum, pretty shoddy, sketchy tabletop army, then I think someone that brings a nicely painted army and also does four probably should position above that person. Well, what if that person with a really shoddy army also brings a really shoddy display board and has a few shoddy conversions and that's so very I'm saying, basic? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm talking everything as well. I'm talking everything but, too in terms of that rubric. I think the rubric should be more broad, less specific, more subjective, purely because. Um, I've seen events where someone's bought, like, say, Ash's Iron Jaws army. That doesn't require any conversions because the models are really, really good anyway. Yeah. He doesn't get points for conversions. He doesn't get points for free hands. He get points for overselling on metallic metal because it wouldn't make sense in his arm. And then I've seen a couple of other armies where someone has got, like, a very, very basic army. But they do have a few conversions in there. They've um, maybe used Karakakalites as Marauders or whatever. <laughs> um, and then they've... Um, bought a display board, but it's kind of shoddy. But it's still a lack of effort. It's not like they're trying the hardest and that's the best they can do. 
they're just looking at the criteria, this is how I can meet the criteria to get the four points, and then, you know, that army's never near as nice as something that scored much yeah. less, so uh, I really hope there would be more subjective. Yeah. I think that's how Evan from RCTT does it, I actually yeah. pre much prefer the fact that he I kind of... I think that's tier happening. Brackets. Um, yeah. Like, that's certainly... My plan is to basically, what you said is just to add more points available for different things, so rather than it just being like a, there's only a couple of things where if you miss them you won't score full points, you get more things that you can get points for, but you still keep the cap where it is. Yeah. Because I think anyone should be able to get the 25 if they put a, a don't a don't want only people that can paint really, really well to be getting the 25. No, no, I agree for sure. Uh, it's just, I, I feel like sometimes there are people who like are not some, putting if someone effort just in who are getting 25 and somebody who are really putting effort in who are not yeah. in at all. Like if somebody so. brings a cork board and just puts their army on it, that's not a display board. So yeah. I would give them zero. Yeah. If somebody brings a Shattered Dominion tile that they spray one colour and they lightly dry brush, I would give them one. Yeah. If someone brings a nice display board, I would give them yeah. But I might consider if they an extensive display putting board, that up to three. three. Yeah, exactly. So. so that's what I mean. It's just about expanding how many points are available so that you can tier it a bit more to reward more effort, but it will still have a cap. Because like you say, yeah, Ash, he's always... I can see when I'm going through the rubric with him with his iron jewels where I'm like, do you have any conversions? He's, uh, I've put a shoulder pad on this guy and it's like, it's very nicely painted army, don't worry, you'll get 25 because I will reward... Like, he would score, it's a really nicely painted army. So he, for me, would get basic layering, dry brushing, two, and then on the up to three for detail painting, he'd get three because the whole army is painted. Mm. For me, I'm not looking at it and going, oh, there's no OSL, zero. Oh, there's no non-metallic metal, zero. They're examples of techniques. Like, that's how I do the marking anyway. Yes, that's how you can. But, yeah, well, we're talking about my event. So, But anyway, so that is how you will be marked if you come to Sydney Slaughter anyway. Um, so, yeah, and then sports is obviously a big thing. A lot of Sports is huge, it always should be. A lot, of, a lot of events, all events, I think, do the up to five sports points being available per game, so that's 25. And then I think most events do point, maybe five, I think Clint's typically are five points if you get any best opponent votes, um, and that's it. Whereas mine, I reward, it was too heavily weighted sports last year, I think, but um, that was when I was definitely trying to encourage it, so I dialed it back a bit this year. So it was for every first best opponent vote you receive, you get three extra points, and for every second you got one. So it does reward those people that are constantly getting best or best opponent votes more than somebody that gets one. Yeah. Which I think should be the case, because sports is very important, and I think, I think so someone needs to be... Con because I like the fact that you published that so people can kind of see who those players are. Yeah, I, I think you should as well, because publishing it as the overall result isn't giving away... Who scored what for sport? That it may be a reminder to you that maybe you need to but, be a bit friendlier. Or yeah, you look at like... you can look at it and go, okay, is there anybody there? Generally, almost everybody gets at least one best opponent vote. There's a couple of people that didn't, and then most people got high sports. There's a couple of people that didn't. There was unfortunately a few issues that went down this year, which I'm not going to go into. But you, they well, those get, people know anyway. So those exactly those people know, and also I published up the full results as you see. And you can kind of see where the issues have occurred anyway in those results. So um, I think it's just useful and people see how that impacts their overall result. And I think it always should. I think too often people can forget that at the end of the day we're playing a game with like little plastic figures yeah, and not to, take so thing, not to take things too seriously. Yes, most people are going because they want to win. A lot of people are going just because they enjoy it and they like the hobby and it's gaming a is weekend, a side of it. Yeah. But at the and same time... Mates and stuff. Sports is just the most important award. You should just always be a nice person to play. 
I think so too. Like, even if you're, like, win or lose, just always be a good person to play. And that is something that I will always in my packs. So, if you're not a good person to play against, then maybe work on that or it's lots or if you're finding consistently that you're event. yeah if you're finding consistently that every event you're going to that you're kind of losing places based off that and maybe that's something you need to work on yeah so uh, but also that goes two ways as well because i think people need to be truthful in this and that's something i also encourage people if you get a doctor you need to be able to like if people it. come up like people do come up to me afterwards and they'll go so often i hear oh i hear this this person did this and I hear this gripe after the game and I'm like I literally will just say what did you give them for sports and they'll give they'll just say five and I'm like why because you've literally said I had a great game everything was fine it was an amazing experience and and now you're bitching and moaning about stuff they did in the game that does not sound to me like you thought they were a good sport so why are you telling them that their behaviour was fine because that's what it is giving someone five for sports is saying everything you did in our game was great and I'd really like to play against you again and you don't need to change your behaviour. It was a majestical experience. Whereas <laughs> if somebody gets three, they need to go, oh, shit, some way I behaved in that game, my opponent took Sometimes me Sometimes you get personality negatively. clashes too. You do, but even then, a personality clash. You shouldn't be on You should just be games. able to just play a game. Yeah. Like, so. yeah. Um, so anyway, sports is really important and I'm not going to talk about it more, but yeah, if you're... I think people should always be encouraged to be honest in sports. Um, I personally have no problem about filling in my opponent's sports scores in front of them. And if I, in fact, if I ever do mark someone down, I tell them why I'm marking them down. I'm, do that I'm not mark a problem. You down back. I don't care, to be honest. If somebody does that, then that's them being vindictive and meh. I, I, I'm open and I feel, feel like people can never learn or change if they don't know what's wrong. And that's why I hate people when they just go, oh, I gave them. I want people to give people fives because it means because they deserve it. <laughs> because they deserve it, and everyone's having a great time. But um, anyway, um, that's more just. But yes, the so sports is important, and um, this year I also decided for the painters that I would those people that are really into the hobby because they like painting the miniatures and they like entering the painting competition side of things, the best army, coolest army type votes that are usually at most. But in order to enter those, you have to play a tournament. So these, a lot of these people give up their whole weekend to play a game that they're not really that interested in the game. They're there because of the painting side, and they're competing for the painting awards. So I felt like there wasn't an event on the scene yet, anyway, in Australia that gave more of a kind of incentive, incentive for the painters to attend. So this year I, I included the, the typical best presented and coolest army awards that you'll see at most events in Australia. But then I also added a separate painting competition in the evening, which had four categories, um, which was Hero of Legend, which was individual hero monster, uh, sorry, individual hero model, uh, the Monstrous Marvel, which was individual monster, Regiment of Renown, so individual unit of three or more models, or the Masterpiece, which was literally an open category, so it could be anything, um, didn't have to be in your, and none of these models had to be in your army either, um, and they didn't have to be Games Workshop or anything like that, they just had to be fantasy. Yeah, because it's a fantasy event, so you couldn't bring a knight titan or something like that. That's what was cool about it. I yeah, bought some tinking stuff and entered into two of them. Um, um, so cool. did that on the Saturday evening as well, which I was actually really impressed and pleased with how many entries they got. Um, some of the categories were more hotly contested, well, more entered than others. Um, I think the unit had three entries, um, although they were all... I think the unit was probably the hardest one because they were all really, really I think they did the unit and the... Um, miscellaneous and then the open had three entries in it most people went hero or monster hero was the most category 
Yeah, um, those are the two I didn't do. So you're only allowed to enter two of them. Yes, yeah, so you could. You, there was four categories. Yet you could only enter a maximum of two. So again, I wanted to. This was for the painters, but I didn't want people to be put off if they knew that a phenomenal painter was coming along and they were just going to enter everything and just win potentially everything because that also can be off-putting. So I kind of did it so. Look, if you do get one person that is head and shoulders crazy level painter come, come along, <laughs> um, they don't just take everything and everyone goes cool. Thanks. This way only Travis no point. Two. Um, <laughs> he deserved it though. He's but um, well, yeah, Travis entered two, and yes, Travis did win the two that he entered. Um, his painting standard is extremely high, and they were the best two entries. So I always said I would give it to the best entries in the category, as I think it should be. There's no bias there whatsoever, but I didn't want, like I say, four categories and the same person win all four and everybody else kind of thing gets disheartened and thinks, what's the point of me? Um, so, yeah, um, we did that. And might as well go through the painting awards now. Travis got Hero of Legend. He also got the Regiment of Renown. Um, Monstrous Marvel went to Andrew Bigwood, who had an amazing mishmash, mixed order kind of army of loads of different units. Um, some of the older stuff, there's dwarves, there's dark elf, repeater crossbows, that, but then there was um, Caradron Overlord, um, Sky Warden, dark elf on Pegasus, and that's what he actually won with. Um, and then the masterpiece went to Stephen Drury with a Boromir um, bust. He had a really not, not painted army, not actually. bust. It was. Like a bigger size scale model of Boromir from Lord of the Rings, um, which was really nice. Yeah, they were the four winners of the painting. Um, the best presented overall as well went to Travis. Um, that's player voted, it's worth pointing out. Best presented and coolest army are all player voted. And then the painting competition was judges voted, which was by... Um, so Travis got best presented, player voted, and the coolest army went to Ryan Kirby with his Warherds army, which was really cool. So it was all like Minotaur, well, what are they called? Bulgors. Um, Beasts of Chaos. Yeah, Bulgors and Cygors <laughs> uh, and, and stuff like that, which is really, really cool. Um, lots of layered flesh tones. Mm. So yeah, that was cool. And Andrew Bigwood was kind of on multiples of these categories, one vote off winning as well with his mixed order armies. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of all the painting. And then the actual gaming results overall, um, so obviously we said Dan came in second. Um, we did, but it wasn't played. We did. Oh, did we? Oh, yeah, start. I did. No, and then, so <laughs> the overall event was won by the master, Dave Kerr, taking it out with Maggot Kin of Nurgle. Um, I think he was the only person that... Uh, no, it's worth saying, actually, in my scenarios, no player got five major wins. Um, I don't think, actually, any player got five because Dave Kerr got a minor loss against Scott Norwood at one point. Um, but other than that, he had four majors. Um, Dan, I think you had three majors and a minor, and a minor loss. And a minor no, I had three majors and a minor uh, Unless you scored incorrectly and I should have won, but that's what out. happened. No, that's not <laughs> what happened. I definitely checked everything and it was fine. I'm just trying to work out how you or get... Or it was two majors and two minors. That's, that's what it'll be. Yeah, yeah, you got two majors, two minors because you got 34. Yeah, so and then I got, two like, sevens I got painting and, two and sports tens. quite significantly. Yeah, and then, yeah. Um, and then Adam Burt with Blades of Corn came in third. And he had three major wins, two major losses. So he didn't get a major loss. So yeah, it was pretty good showing. Matt Campbell was in fourth from um, Blades of Corn as well. Both Matt and Adam had very similar lists with double bloodthirsters and stacking. Yeah, that's the old edition. The Crimson well. Crown and everything we were talking about. Yeah, this was the last event of AOS 1. Um, I actually quite liked how AOS 2 then became much more hero focused <laughs> after that. So it was kind of like, oh, okay. That's cool. Um, and then Tom Holdsworth 
came in fifth with Magakin of Nurgle, but it was Skaveny Magakin. I think there was a big pestilence. Um, in and then Liam came in sixth with Daughters of Cain. Because um, I lent him my witch elves and stuff and got them back. But he didn't have the highest. <laughs> he did not have the highest kill point. Matt had the highest kill points with his blades of corn, which does not surprise me at all. Um, but yeah, so that was overall the top kind. Of, yeah, the top lists were Magakin. Dan with Mixed Chaos being Skaven. Um, Blades of Corn, Blades of Corn, Magakin, Daughter. Doesn't really surprise me that much. Yours is probably the I exception. Mean, yeah. But you're always up there. Um, and then, yeah, best opponent vote. Um, Dan, you did really well. Um, Adam Burt did really well. Um, Super like <laughs> Secondaries. Yeah, there were five secondaries as well, custom secondaries that I had done, which were like extra kind of little missions that you had to try and achieve one of them in each game. Yeah, um, I think I got four of them. So they were, you did get four of them. Dave got all four, Adam got four. Uh, and they were things like, one of them was have more models in the middle of the board at the end of the game. One of them was like, kill your opponent's general. Um, touch your opponent's backboard touch edge. Touch your opponent's backboard edge. Um, but it had to be on a turn after you'd done like a teleport or something like that. Um, you had to do it with a normal move. I did it with a climate retreat in charge. To Scott Norwich, if I recall. But yeah, so the overall results, um, best order went to Rob Reimers with his Stormcast list, which... He was Daughters of Cain, wasn't he? Oh, that's right, he was Daughters of Cain. Yeah, not actually um, Liam. So that, Liam placed above Rob in the overall results, but the best in Alliance awards were done off pure gaming. So from a pure gaming perspective, Rob Reimers, uh, sorry, Reimers, um, got best order with Daughters of Cain. Best Chaos went to Dave Kerr, obviously. Best Death went to Anthony Magro. I think he had his Legion of Night. Um, yep, which had multiple Terrorgeists ambushing in. Manfred, Um So he came in 10th overall um, with Legion of Night. And then uh, Best Destruction went to Dino Matthews with Greenskins, which was a big surprise. Destruction wasn't particularly contested. Um, I think there was four Destruction players, maybe, but the Greenskins list, he was doing really well with it, actually. Um, and then Strategic Genius went to Dave Kerr, which is the person that got the most uncapped VP. Um, so he smashed it. And then we've been through... Uh, and Best Opponent went to Dan Say. Again, <laughs> he got Best Opponent the first year and Best Opponent the second year, so that's really good. Um, and I think that brought him up to eighth overall because of the Best Opponent votes. He got nine, which is worth saying... Dan, you had eight, so you were only one lower than... You were second best opponent, yes. Although I think there was some other people with eight. So Jordan also got eight, and Andrew Bigwood also got eight. The second bro. So, uh, yeah. But that was really good to see that there was a lot of um, a lot of good sports votes going on. So, um, yeah, I was pretty pleased with the event. Obviously, I took on board some of the feedback, as you said, in terms of scenario. Um, I would remove some of the... Or try and remove all of the... I guess, random elements um, from the victory condition parts. I still like, not random, but I, I do like there still being effects which like can happen on a dice roll, but I will stop them influencing the VPs that you score. So you will always score a set amount of VPs and whether you score them will not come down when mm. I change them in the future. Because um, I did the custom scenarios, it was similar feedback to the first year really. They were much, much more detailed um, and there was a lot more going on in the first so I toned them down for the second year and tried to make them more similar to how 
GW scenarios play and how they were written down, but they were still more out of the ordinary. Um, so I, w- I don't, I don't want to just make them basically bird scenarios. I do want to have them being different, but at the same time, I do realise that games... Adam Burt's game, I think, when he played Stormfront, he was in that exact position. I think he had his, and he controlled the two middle ones. So he was winning 3-1 on objectives each time. So although he was getting modifiers to his dice roll, his opponent was and he rolled. So I think he actually... Yeah, he, I, he got a mate. He, that was one of the games where he actually ended up getting a minor loss, despite doing everything, everything right power, in the scenario. Yeah. And that's something that, yeah, I don't want that to happen. So, that happened to Liam as well, I think. So I will change that um, going forward. In that place, he would have just got the VP to come down to his role. That's Even it. he gets the VPs too, but that shouldn't determine the end of well, the game. Well, as in, if you had more VPs, the Stormfront moves. Yeah, that's how it should I wouldn't work. have had Definitely. it that it just influences. Um, but, yeah, um... I think that's kind of everything really for the to cover for slaughter this year. Um, like I say, I'm gonna start planning to try and do it next year. Um, didn't have any sponsors this year. I kind of was a bit lax in getting in contact with them. I I got in contact with a few, but didn't really. Um, they didn't kind of come back to me. Um, and I sorted out all the prize support and everything kind of locally with all the extra trophies. There was more um to do that way. Uh, I also wasn't sure if I was gonna fill the venue. But um, yeah, next year I think it's certainly something I'll try and hit up the sponsors a bit sooner to tr- try and get a load more loot for people um, that are attending. I did have, um, everybody did get stuff to take away. I made custom objective markers. Well, I say I made. Travis, the legend that he is. Um, They're really useful. F- these acrylic round Combat gauges, red objective markers. Red objective, um, objective markers, which were... Mortally Wounded Sydney Slaughter 2018 objective markers, which are really cool. And the fact that they're red and they're flat dip, they show up on the table, but they also don't get in the way of placing models. Mm. Um, and it's always nice to have your brand on it. So everybody got three of those. So it, if players turned up and no one had objective markers, you would always have enough objective markers as well because the most objectives there ever were in one of my missions was six. So that was also intentional so that people would also always have objective markers. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of... That was Sydney Slaughter 2018. Yep. Um, so I think we might take a quick break there, and then we've kind of covered the upcoming events already in our prep, and then um, we'll go through these uh, tournament stats that Honest Wargamer did in the last week. So we'll take a quick break. And we are back again. Dan just reminded me before we uh, finished then that we didn't talk about Liam's event the other, like two weeks ago, Gods of War, really, in much detail. So um, Considering you won, I thought you might want to touch on it. Uh, I've won, it's done, there you go. There's the round up. Um, yeah, no. I so, came second. <laughs> of course you did. I literally burst out laughing when Liam said you were second. We didn't play though. It's just too funny. Well, you should have beaten Ash, shouldn't you? So. I nearly did if I wanted to, I would have. <laughs> Beat you three weeks before I end. Yeah, but that lent me everything I needed to know to win. It wasn't last to me, top table, you were playing Ethan, I beat him the week before too. I was like, I beat both of them, one of them's going to win. <laughs> so. Um, Ethan probably should have beaten me too. That's the whole point, matchups can be dependent oh, as well. And, I, and well. I massively copped up when I played you because I was practicing the list, so. Um, I definitely was playing it much better on the weekend. I felt it's probably one of the first tournament for a while I've done where I've like knew what you were doing. I knew what I was doing with that list. And one thing because like people always ask me, oh, I always do so well with weird armies. I practice them a lot. I play them all the time. I'm so used to using the units I do, and I still make mistakes from time to time, of course. But you jump through so many projects and armies, you don't really get like a sound yeah. practice. And whenever you do practice, you always do much better. 
Yeah. Sometimes you just rock up. But yeah. when I came to, yeah, like when I came, because I played Sylvaneth before, so like coming back to them, I was pretty, I know, I know the stats, I know like all the rules about the Wildwoods and being close to them, so it was more just how do I play Alaril and Durthu really with each other? What? It's just how to play the army, but I tried to tell myself for this event, I have a tendency of overthinking and trying to overplan and being like, oh, my opponent will do this and they'll do this. And it's like, a lot of the time I, I've gamed myself out of a few games from just thinking my opponent will do all of this stuff that actually my opponent might not have a fucking clue to do. You give them too much credit. And I, and I, yeah, like, without wanting to sound bad, a lot of the time your opponent's probably not going to be thinking half the things you're thinking because you know your list inside and out. You might miss what they're thinking anyway. And they might do something I'm totally not expecting them to do. So I was just like, do you know what? I'm going to stop trying to plan this and I'm just going to... A lot of times people think this is what I would do if it was them. I've had the amount of times people have looked at me with my scale and they're like expecting me to charge an attack and I'm just retreated off them. Like, cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it was... Um, I, I was playing a lot better. I was like, okay, I'm not going to... I'm going to have rough... Like, okay, yeah, this would be cool if I could do this, but we'll see. And then I was just actually... I really like now that they've changed the battalions so that you can drop them as diff like any combination of drops basically now. I because, don't because you're already rewarded enough for yes, having a battalion. But I like it because instead of me to. going, here's my whole army deployed, now you deploy everything, uh, I actually get to take part in that like back and forth of, okay, I'm going to put a unit down, where are you putting a unit down? I'm going to put a unit down, where are you So you get none down? of the drawbacks is what you're trying to say. I still get to control how many... Well, no, I'm still. I still have to go. Okay, how many? It's drops? a huge advantage. How many you drops can go one, 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 oh, one. It completely jump. is. Yeah, it completely it's, is. It's a bad change. Um, I although, don't think that's a good change at all. What I will say, I think it, since they've done that, they should put battalions up further. Um, yeah. What I will say is, I the lowest drop army I played, I think, was seven, and I really was expecting like there to be ones, twos, threes, and the lowest one I played was seven. Any real ones I see are Sylvanus. I think there was one. No. There was one where I think my opponent had like ten or eleven drops or something, and I was like, "Oh, I don't even need to deploy." I had ten drops. I don't even need to deploy my battalion. So we literally just deployed like normal. I was like, "Okay, I'm going to put these spikes in the enclaves. You go, and then I'm going to put these spikes in the enclaves. You go." That was a common theme across all my deployments. Was I'm going to see your first four anyway? But um, it was um, yeah. I definitely felt much more. I knew what the army could do and I knew what would kill it and what I couldn't take out. And I kind of was always planning for... Is that because I played your Dreadwood three times and beat it with you every time? Okay. You played me once with the Tomb Kings. I played you twice. Like two times. <laughs> oh, the two and a half K event. Yeah. yeah. I was playing beforehand. That, I was playing that quite differently though, I think. Yeah, very differently. You could definitely tell the difference. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, playing it this time around using Alaril's command ability... Um, using the, now AOS 2, using the summoning and the auto mechanics and stuff like that. Two of those games are old edition. I think, um, <laughs> I think... It's very different now. That I, Dread was very, very good. It's much cheaper. It's good, but I think no one... I think I'm the first person I know of that's won with Dreadwood. They've been getting, like, four wins a lot, but the problem is most... All the other Dreadwood lists I've seen have been full close combat alpha strike Dreadwoods, so they've had, like, a unit of six sides, plus a Durthu, plus a Larial plus Dreitcher, but they're all going in close range. None of them I've seen with Colonel Thanos have had Colonels with bows. And that, I think, is where... That's why I think they win four games. Because I think the four matchups where going in smashing face is the right decision and wins you the game, great, you can do that. But you will get matchups where you will lose. My fourth game against Ash is a prime example of that. 
if, if one of those Dreadwood lists went into Alpha Smash Ash with his Zinch list, they would lose because he screens and then he mortal wounds. Yeah, there's only so much to look screen in fact you can do. Um, well, it was the same when we played. I had two screens. Literally, well, no, it didn't one. even matter. I hit, they were next to each other. I had a screen behind. But you didn't. Like, it, I had all my battle lines, and I had a screen of Tomb Guard, and then I had one across. But the even then, I, yeah, Alpha striking two units. Well, in case you shot one screen off, two units of skeleton warriors. Yeah. What's the fucking point? And then your snakes went Bleh, and kill everything, and that I still think happens every single time you play one of the combat dreadwoods. Well, that can happen to me too. I can send snakes up to someone so, just cut battle line and get killed um, myself. So. But you'd know not to do that, which is why you're adding in chariot. But, um... <laughs> Dan's trying to be quiet and say, don't give away my tactics. I think it's quite blatant, my tactics. Um, exactly. Um, Smash screen with chariots and snakes behind screen. Exactly. Killed. But, um, yeah, so that was the real strength, I think, with my list, was having one unit of Colonel Thunders with bows in the list, and then every single game I summoned another unit of Colonel Thunders with bows with Alarion, and then having Durthu and Alarion go in. But... Four out of five games that I alpha struck, and it was the right thing, and it won me the game. But what um, the one game against Ash, where he had his Zinch Castle, I went first because board positioning is so important, and I knew I could get my three wild wings hide behind. Line I could of get sight. my three wild woods down, and then because they blocked line of sight, and I was playing a Zinch Mortal Wound gun line, effectively, I sat back and realised because I this is the one thing I had thought about overnight when I knew I was playing here was. It wouldn't have been as much of an impact anyway because you can only put one spell through the portal anyway, but. Him putting any spells through the portal, if you put a spell through the portal, you measure visibility and range from the portal. So the portal does not fly. So if my units that don't fly are behind Wildwoods, he can't see me to cast a spell through the portal. So I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going first. I'm setting up my woods in front of all of the objectives and I'm going to stand behind my woods. Not in my woods, I'm going to stand behind them and just use them to block line of sight and be out of his... And then shoot his Lord of Change with my Colonel Thunders with bows and throw Alarial Spear at whatever I can. And that's what I did. Still popped Alarial's command ability in the first battle round, which I did in every single game, because I'm always going for it. And re-rolling to wound until my next hero phase is amazing when my opponents double-turn me, which happened in every single game I played, that they double-turn me. They pretty much always got the choice. And I knew that they would take it, because everyone goes, oh great, I'll use the double-turn. And I'm sitting there going, cool, I'm still re-rolling all my... So, like, that was... Ash did not realise how much damage output my Dryads would do. Because his army's quite low armor save. Like, it's all five up saves. Like Class cannon. Yeah. And actually, minus one to hit, I re- I discovered, really shuts down Skyfires and Enlightened. He was, like, hitting on fives, I think, with most of his attacks. And the Enlightened didn't get re-rolls when he hit first. So I was like, meh, don't care. And then my Dryads just scratched their eyes out back. And there was only 20 of them. But they pretty much can all get in range because they're two inch reach. And they've got two attacks each. So when they're hitting on fours, but then and wounding on fours, but they re-roll to wound, they do a lot of damage. Um, and knowing that I couldn't get hit by his spells, it just let me pick my targets. So I sat back and shot his Lord of Change. I did 10 out of 14 wounds in my first shot, shooting phase, then killed it in my second. And then it let me then put the Colonel Thunders on the edge of the wood so that I could still sit in my woods, but not block line of sight. And then How could you kind of see the Lord of Change? Because the Lord him? of Change flies. Oh, okay. So if either model flies... Line of sight. So you're still hid behind your woods, but you can see him. Yeah. So I was you, sitting in the middle of my woods. Forward. He could see me, but he wasn't in range for his spells because I was sitting 28 inches away. So I could shoot him, but he couldn't spell me. Mm. And if he puts a spell through a portal, the range is from the portal. The portal doesn't fly. I don't fly. So he. Can. Mm. So it just let me sit in my woods and shoot off his lot of change and not be able to get. Hurt. So <laughs> it worked. But I have to say, 
going into the event, when Liam ruled before the event that Wildwood would block line of sight, I said to him, if I'm honest, I think that's a mistake. I think it's too powerful as a gut feeling. I was like, it seems crazy. It seems stupidly powerful that they would block line. In the game against Ash, it massively contributed to helping me be able to win that game and not just getting magicked off. But the other four games, my line of sight was blocked worse for me than as in it benefited my opponents more than it benefited me being in my woods. Like, even when I played Ethan in my fifth game, I put some kernels down on a big piece of damned terrain that was near my objective, because I was like, sweet, I've got cover, I've got damned, and they're on my objective, and they're... But I'd put my wildwood in between me and him, and I went, shit, I can't see over that. <laughs> so it was pointless. So then they couldn't do anything for pretty much an experience the whole game. Well. Yeah. And then when I put... I then had to put a wood within range of them, move them, so I could teleport to a different wood and be like, oh, well, they're not going to stay there on that damn terrain for the whole game, because I can't see anything, because none of his army flew. So, um, actually, I don't, I don't think it's too powerful. Um, it depends how you're playing it. I guess a lot of people would say you're not hampered by it if you're doing the combat alpha strike because you're not sitting in woods. But that's but when I think, you lose, anyway. I think you lose games by doing that build anyway, and you win games by having the flexible list which has range. And if you sit in your woods, you can only shoot stuff that flies. So you have to play it smart. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I actually don't think it's broken. Because four out of five games, it was... In terms of the line of sight rule, the woods hampered me more than they benefited me. But the woods are super vital to Sylvaneth. And board control with them is just incredible. And if you if the spells go... If someone comes into you and then spells go off and the woods go off... Which, most of my games, it didn't happen. It happened against Chris Tot a few times. I think the woods went off and I just did extra mortal wounds and extra mortal wounds. But they never did too much. It's more just the teleporting, the positioning, and then the dryads and the branch raids getting minus one to hit is the biggest thing from them. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that they, in Dreadwood, count as a terrain feature for the spites to haunt it. So if anyone comes to you, their battle shock is messed up because they're rolling two dice because of the fact that your wood is a terrain. Um, I still think there's something in Spite Revenants because they make a huge amount of attacks. I wonder about units of 10 rather than fives. Five of them make 16 attacks. If it's more of a Dreadwood, you need to have four anyway. You have to take the four fives, but I would consider putting Spites into a normal Sylvaneth army because anything that's useful from Spites is on their War Scroll, which is the Haunting Terrain and the Minus One Bravery. The Outcast Battalion did zero. I would say that's a very situational in case you play Demons. The Minus One Bravery. But the Battle Shocking, two dice using the highest, is amazing. Even against each, it's like, oh, you want to use a one. Units, you want to use no. That's the outcast battalion. That's useless. That yeah. literally did zero mortal wounds across the entire tournament. I think I was only in a position to roll for it once. It was, it was just pointless. Um, but just on the spite revs war scroll, any terrain feature that's within eight inches of any spite revs is haunted. So any battle shock tests taken by enemy units within three of a terrain feature that's haunted. So it has a pretty big effect on the board as well is two dice using the highest. And if you're within three of Spyro, you're minus one bravery as well. Mm. So against Zangor, stuff like that, against Ash when he came in, he was like, minus one bravery, battle shocking on two dice. Mm. It was great. But um, yeah, it, it's super useful. And against any Zinch where they go, oh, I'm just going to use this one Destiny dice for my battle shock. He's like, cool, what are you going to use for the other dice? Because you're rolling two. My other one. <laughs> well, yeah, but then they're using two dice instead of one dice. It's really, really good. Um, I have to say, Ash did not have good Destiny dice rolls against me. They were mostly threes and fours. There was no sixes, there was one five. I got a bit like... I, I, I nude him. I got all. I got the stratagems as well to be able to limit his range against me to 12 inches in the first battle round as well, so he couldn't hit me. I made sure I sat my Colonel Thunders 29 inches away from his Skyfires and they'd be shot shooting 12, so... 
Mm. He couldn't. He, you're range thirty. I'm range thirty, so it's that twenty nine. But um, he couldn't. Yeah, it 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 shut it down. Um, and I got lucky with positioning in, in terms of my wizards for where I could put a spell. But I had one wildwood put it, set it up on an objective. Use my acorn, which I know he can't do anything about, to put it on the other objective. So I knew I was covered on two of them. I knew I was never going to go for his. I'd already made that. And then I went for it turn three or four because he hadn't re- he'd left no more. And I just I'd already seen I had a Lariel sitting on mine, but because she flies sixteen and I can auto six a run, I'd already seen that I had the distance to just go wee. So I just flew over everything and landed on it and went ah. Oh, no. So that was extra points. But uh, yeah, it was pretty. I have to say, as much as I felt I, f- I while I was playing it, most of the game like. A few of the games, anyway. I felt like I was... They were, like, close. And I was like, oh, I need to be careful here because of this. But actually, when I went back and looked at the scores, no. Like, the the closest score in VPs was, like, eight, I think. Which was against Dan Doyle in the first game. Against the Corn because Alarial couldn't kill Bloodlairs. She rolled four ones and twos on her five attack rolls to hit. <laughs> and then died to Bloodlairs. I was like, she shouldn't be so shit. So, yeah. But it didn't matter because I helped them there for a turn. And then they ran away. They then came away from his back objective, which thanked them out to get his. So, um, that is amazing. And I have done it in basically every game to steal an objective off someone because I'm finding a lot more people are leaving their back objectives with no models on them um, because they're still under their control. They're like, okay, that's cool. That's And then I'll just snake something from a wood that people might not even expect. Because if I've got a unit of 20 drivers, you can actually cover a massive amount of the board. And if they've left no models in it, I only need to get one model within six. So I could put wood in the middle of the board and then just do a massive daisy chain to go, cool, that's mine. But uh, yeah, the dryads were very good. Um, I think taking units of 30 will be very strong. Um, I think that's an oversight. I don't think they should be able to go that far away from the wood. It's an older book, and yes, if it was a new book, it likely would say all the models have to be wholly with three of it's the wild wood. three of the wood. But it hasn't been. That's how it is. Use it. Um, so yeah, and to be fair... If anyone had just left a model on their objective, I have to always be nine away from enemy models. So if someone just puts a dude on their objective, I can't get it. So I feel like that's more my opponent's fault for leaving it unguarded. I never left. I always had a model. Um, especially with the scoring now where it's yours until your opponent can take it off you, even on tight. So like against Ethan, I moved my spikes further away to create like a secondary screen in case he wanted to try and retreat. Gabriel Shawheart in our game and then try and charge onto my objective. I made a second screen with the spites but I made sure I left one spite within six of my objective because his Lord Aquila that can do the wind running and just run through all your units. I knew he might just run 20 odd inches across the board straight onto mine which he but because it was already mine and I was like okay you've got one model in range I've got one model in range with that spite rev he can't charge if he wind runs so we were drawing and I was like it's mine until you take it off me so I was like can't have it <laughs> mine but uh yeah, so, yeah, the Dreadwood went pretty well. Uh, I should probably actually say what the list uh, It's been published. Yeah, but for people that don't know, where was it published? Liam, Liam published it, but in the Facebook event, which probably flows down now. So. But um, it was Alarial, Spirit Dirthu is the general with Gnarled Warrior to ignore end one, and then my Sylvaneth came from the realm of Akshi, which is the realm of fire, so he had Ignax's Scales, which is a four-up mortal wound save, um, which actually didn't come into it anywhere near as much as I thought. In the practice games, in my head when I built the list, I was like, Durthu will always be within six of Valerial because whenever she takes, well, whenever a Sylvaneth hero within six of the Spirit of Durthu takes any wounds, you have to roll a dice and on a four up, the Spirit of Durthu takes the wound instead. So you can then try and take a save roll as normal. So obviously, 
you would take the save roll against the model that suffers the wound, and then if you fail it, Dirthu would try and take those wounds. He then doesn't get to make a save roll because the save roll has already passed in the attack sequence. But if it was a mortal wound, Dirthu is then suffering a mortal wound, so he can take his mortal wound save against it. Um, so in my head, I built the list that they would always be within six of each other, and Dirthu taking wounds, probably mortal wounds caused against Delarial, and then getting a four-up save against them, and then Delarial would heal them both up. But to be honest, it didn't really happen. I'm going to change the item, and I already know what I'm going to change it to um, for uh, Moab. But lists up, but I know what I'm changing. Um, and then I had two branch wraiths um, because they they are amazing. Just because of the minus one to hit if they're near a wildwood with the new lookout sir rules, they're always going to be near a unit of five or more models from the dryads or the spites. Three or more models, sorry. So they all they're basically always built in minus two to shoot, which is amazing. If they can even be seen, that is because they're just sitting behind or inwards. So um, one of them has the acorn of the ages, which I think is a you always, always, always take it in Sylvaneth um, because it's a free wood that your opponent can't do anything about. Um, doesn't rely on dice rolls or anything, and woods are so important, so you always take And then the other one had Ranu's Lamentary, which is plus one to cast all spells and plus two to cast spells from the Deep Wood spell lore. And that was always the one I was trying to summon woods with, so she is basically only, like, summons woods on a four, so if there's arcane terrain, she's summoning it on anything but a double one, um, which is what I did against Ash. I stuck her in a corner next to arcane terrain because I got lucky the piece of terrain that was in the corner was arcane so I put her there outside of unbind range from ash and as long as I didn't roll a double one I knew I was getting my third wild um, which happened so um, they're just really solid and then I've got the four five spike the four units of five spike ribs you have to take for dreadwood and then a unit of 20 dryads and a unit of three colonel thunders with but and then as I said Alaria will always summon three colonel thunders with um, every turn I will every game I will go first and every game I'll use Alaria's command ability turn one and the Kernoth's turn one. I have thought about the possibility of dropping the 20 dryads down to a 10 because it's really the only flex I have in the list. Um, and with those 100 points, taking some endless spells because if I take the burning head, it's really good to just give whatever I need basically reroll ones to hit. And I don't care about the mortal wounds because Alarial heals it. Um, I've been 10 dryads away. I, Not it, even close. Yeah, it's just because I can summon. I can keep summoning tens of dryads. Also, that unit of dryads in a big unit is harder to shift and has a better yeah. armor save. And you've got two in range. I yeah. think that would be... I mean, the 20 it. dryads was good. The only thing I found was in four or five of my games, it's the turn one alpha strike with Alarial Dirthu and the Colonel Thunters. So if they're re-rolling ones to hit, it makes that, that much more reliable. Uh, and then also there'd be other endless spells I could take for 60 points, and I might consider taking cogs, because... Mainly for Illarial, actually. I could use it turn one for the extra charge or the movement when I'm teleporting through my woods nine away. It's very hard to cast. Yes, um, but I've thought I've got... A... I don't think you can depend on that. I wouldn't depend on it, but I'm thinking it could be useful because also I'd more probably use it for Illarial to give her a three-up re-rollable armor rather than the movement um, because a lot of the time I rolled ones and twos on her armor save or if I didn't have Mystic Shield up or something. And that's where she took damage. Um... It was just through like weight of dice and fluffing some arm saves, but if I had a three out re-rollable, it's You're gonna move away from those cogs anyway? I can dispel it and get rid of it, and Alarial doesn't ever really need to cast three spells a turn, so I wouldn't be too bothered if I had to dispel it and try and recast it. Um Even dispelling it's difficult because you get the modifiers. Yeah. I um, just think it's not as good. I'm yeah, I'm toying with it. I don't know. I might just try the other way and see what happens. Um I probably won't. 
take the cogs because I've I've written a harvest boon well I've written multiple harvest boon lists that I think come much better with the cogs that I would use it for and the harvest boon builds in a natural plan on all the branch rates and then you take around his lamentary for another plus one to cast and then if there's arc so it makes it a lot more reliable um, and in that list I wouldn't need to move it it'd be at the back of the board because I would be using it for the plus two move plus two charge um, I think it could be good in that but yeah I don't know I'll probably take the same list and I'll just change the realm and change the item um, for Moab, or I'm going to take Dreadwood, but a very, very different Dreadwood, just be a bit more for me. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, so that was that was good. Um, I really enjoyed my games actually. Um, the list was strong. I very much enjoyed playing it. It's Sylvaneth in general now are just an army that I think compete in every. They do stuff in every single phase. Your hero phase is really important. Your movement phase is by far the most important phase. But shooting, you also are doing stuff and combat, you're also doing... And then again, even with Dreadwood as well, you're manipulating in the Battleshock phase. Like, it's just interesting, and you've got loads of flex, but it it's not free movement. Like, it's not an army that you just go, this just pops up here wherever I want, no way. You have to play your Wildwoods right, and you have to be, not like, trying to stop people from blocking them off, and, and then trailing out from them I really like, and teleporting. It, just, it was just really fun to play. Um... It feels like it does feel like a skill army to get it to five. Dreadwood is a bit too easy to get to four, I think, if I'm honest, with people just smash face. I feel like um, that shouldn't be the case. Screening, Alpha Strike's so prominent. If you're not screening, then yeah. you deserve it. Yeah. If you have an army that has no screen, yeah. you're kind of asking for it. Yeah, and what I will say is it's actually squishy. Durthun and Alarial, if you mess up with them, they die very easily. Yeah. Very easily. Definitely true. Um, because I literally, in my last game, against Ethan. Fortunately it didn't matter because I basically won the game from my turn one, but my turn two I made a huge mistake with Alarial where I attacked with Durthu first instead of Alarial after charging her into eight evocators. So the evocators attacked her and just killed her. Out. They got eight. I failed. I was on 16 with three up save. He had staves, no rend, but I rolled. He got all those attacks through and I rolled eight ones and twos for my arm save. They're all damaged too. Flat out 16 wounds. Didn't even need to do the mortal wounds afterwards. She was dead. And I was like, <laughs> should have just charged and attacked with her first because didn't need to kill 10 skinks with Durfu they could have run away and I would have killed them next 10 but Hilarial still would have been alive but oh well um, fortunately it didn't matter but one small mistake you put them into the wrong target you fluff something they die so if you're going to do it you have to know that you're in a the, the game doesn't hinge on it like when I flew Hilarial into the 20 odd blood letters she fluffed it she rolled 4 ones and 2s to hit did she killed five bloodletters and then she died. So you have to know if you fluff it, are you going to lose the game? If so, don't do it. You have to. I was playing it much more defensively this time around. Anything. I was basically trying to put myself always in a good position where I was banking for the like for the worst. Like if I was trying to shoot a target, I would bank on it staying alive and where my position and what I would do if it stayed alive. If I killed it, great. But if I didn't, that I wasn't in a really bad place. Whereas. That's where I think I needed from the practice games. I was just like, let's just see what happens if I go, meh, smash. Oh, I died. That's why. So, <laughs> um, it was it was good. I really enjoyed the games, to be honest. Uh, the army feels very fun to play, but it feels like you do need to know what you do, which I like. I don't want to play an army where anyone can just pick it up. And, like, I, it's not 27 Skyfires, like in the old games. It's not four stone, where literally you just run. There's more skill involved. Yeah. I find that too. I don't like the idea of just something no fort whatsoever, or very minimal. Um, 
But yeah, how did you do at Gods of War? Came second. You came second again. Uh, trying to remember now. I played Sovereign F first. No, not me. That. Not you. Um, different army. So that was Paul Grixty. You were playing his Null Root with an allied in... Uh, Comet and Storm. In Cantor with a Everglaze Comet. Which, it was funny, I was talking to Paul at the end and he was like, the best thing in the army was the Encanto and the Comet. <laughs> uh, it did okay. But, um, there was a point where it looked really close, but then... Um, after the second turn, I'd, I'd killed too much and just run away with it, so I beat him. Then I played Dante and his dwarves, and I think I tabled him, or came close to, and I kind of got most of the objectives of him pretty hard. It's the relocating orb. Um, he dropped his prime di- down, I did seven wounds to it, and then it just wouldn't die for whatever reason, just keeping in the game way longer than it should have, really. But um, that was a fun game. Um, then I played Ash and his... And we played Knife to the Heart, basically at the end of second battle round after I got double turned. Um, I had both objectives. If I won priority, I would have just ended my turn there and then would have won. He rolled a 1 for his priority. And so any, because he went first the first battle round, the battle round beforehand, so he wins ties. If I rolled a 2 or higher, I would have won. I rolled a 1. <laughs> and I, I've been called out for that rule. I've also had it go in my favour, and I think for the first battle round, whoever goes first probably should win the tie. If you win turn two priority, which is huge in the game, you then shouldn't be rewarded by having an advantage for turn three too. So I do kind of have a bit of an issue with that. Um, that being said, I, I kind of snuck it off him. He deserved to win the game. Because um, you charged what into his screen and then he more wounded. Because um, you must. I've never had game. seen someone roll so many threes on D threes before. We'll have a TV dice are loaded. Um, he must have used them up against you because he was rolling pretty badly. He me. probably did. They were all ones against me. He did his gateway <laughs> and all nine of them were free ups. Um, yeah, he just... Because uh, he didn't screen properly. He left gaps and over two and three. Um, so like, I shot over and um, I was having... I had damned as well. So I was twos, three or ones, twos, three or ones on all of my attacks. And it just fluffed. Like, it was, his god summon in particular was massive because... They decided to give the gods an extra four free wounds um, in the newest FAQ, and I think I'd already done eight wounds to it, so he took four on the gods summon and three familiars dead. Uh, four familiars dead, so just had one left. And my rider on top of one of my knights, uh, three wounds went through. So, roll to wound, three ones, reroll ones, three more ones. Oh. Um, and that pretty much, that was massive. Um, but... Yeah, he he deserved to win that, I think, otherwise. I nearly stole it off at the end just with um, some movement shenanigans, but he basically came off his objective, so I just took it. But, um, yeah, that rule is... Like I said, I've had it go in my favour too, where I've won a tie, where I, I think that's a, a flaw in the game at the moment, but it's a different topic. Um, then I played Zach Seraphon, um, baited him, really, with my Tomb King, and then just really struggled to kill his Dreadsaurian, but I did kill the rest of his army, so I ended up beating him too. And then the last game I played Chris Tots Nogle and pretty much just boxed him in, because he kind of boxed himself in. Because, like I said, I got the ability to Alpha Strike too, and I think in that situation, there's like, I can Alpha Strike you, grab the objectives. By the time you find out of me, and you will find out of me, then I think it'll be too late, and that's pretty much what happened. Um, mm. And I just kept tying him up. I keep repeatedly telling him every time I play him that you have this one unit that can do damage. It's very easy to tie up, and that's exactly what I did the entire game. I just like put like charged one of his like uh, marauders or something, and I just put one Ushabti next to one knight, and that's it. His unit's nerfed. It can't do it, and yeah. he just doesn't seem to learn that lesson. So Chris, change your army <laughs> because like it happens every time I play him. Every yeah. time, um, he just needs two units, and then I can't do it. Yeah. 
it's that simple. I have to tie both up. That's way more difficult. It's just as like, as long look at his list and like as long as I can tie up that one unit, I'm fine. And that's pretty much what's happened every time I play at tournaments. I think four or five in a row now. So yeah. uh, maybe I'm just like a bad matchup for him. I'm not sure, but um, obviously he was doing well enough to get to the mm. second table for the last game. So it's that you played three of five that I played as well because I played Ash. Yeah, so, oh, maybe then. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, one four last one. So how it went? Second place. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Got most of the secondaries. Uh, but Penny was good enough. I got good sports. So yeah, I, kind of. I'm, yeah, Liam didn't post the full results from his. Day, I so saw. I them. don't know what yeah. sports and I got my I got all of my secondaries in my first four games. It was only against Ethan in my last game that I didn't get them all. Um, up with Ariel, <laughs> but uh, it was fun. So I think I did pretty well on that front. Um, I'd like to think I did well sports wise, but I don't know. The only one way struggle for secondaries was when I played Ash. Otherwise, I got most of them. Yeah, not all of them. I think if you basically are winning the game, especially if you've basically killed your opponent, all of those secondaries just let you. The most part. Three, yeah. yeah. Three of them were kill your general, kill a unit, and then it was like have, well, a, also some have, a, terrain, have a terrain feature and then have one unit survive of yours. Yeah. But if the game's going well for you, it's like, well, that person's probably, you're picking you, it probably just sits at the back of the board anyway. And then if it's a terrain feature and your opponent's half and you've gone and killed them, it's pretty easy. That's what I found, basically. I was like, well, I've won all these games. Oh, and I've got... Oh, yeah, the abilities just And I've got all of the secondaries. So the senior one's quite easy. Um, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes if you beat your opponent really early in the game, then the secondaries should be somewhat easy, too. Yeah, yeah. If you're, like, going down to the wire and maybe killed more but are losing badly in the yeah. objective, then I don't think you should be rewarded with... And actually, yeah, to be fair, like, the game against Ethan, I won it, like, quite convincingly on the scenario points, but he almost tabled me... By the end of the game, I hardly got any kill points off him, and so he'd killed my general, he'd killed my blunt, I hadn't killed. Um, so yeah, there's all that stuff that I didn't. Get. I like the tournament. I think Liam did a really good job. Yeah, he did. Really, really, good. really smoothly. I didn't really notice any major things happening. There was no, um, yeah, there was no time delays. Lunch was smooth. Uh, like a little it, bit less. It was at the same that. venue. So yeah, he'd a little bit less. He'd be easier to control. Yeah, um, so it was twenty-two. Twenty-two people. Twenty-two people. Um, yeah. So there was loads of space. Yeah, the venue was obviously prepared for lunch, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, Liam was much more chilled out than I was running a tournament. Um, I think that's personality, he's probably yeah, more laid back person in general. But, um, um, but yeah, no, it all seemed to run well. Um, I would like to see the full results, but... Um, he'll maybe publish it, yeah. ask him about it. Um, but yeah, okay, so... Let's... The reason I like that is because a lot of people said to me that Skaven are actually really, really good, and you're just like, found this thing, it was like... Now I've come second with Tomb Kings as well, so uh, I've come second with Tomb Kings before too, so I'm doing it with two on Uplux armies, mm. I just wanted to make that clear. There's, yeah, Tomb Kings still have I said some very, very strong good. units. Yeah. The fact that you're like, I'm two, three, roll ones, two, three, roll ones. There's a huge points investment to make that there happen. Is. They're very similar but, to Corn, actually. Yeah. I think that if you look at the um, Gore Pilgrim setup, where you kind of put in these buffs on your yeah. stuff and then send them flying off, as soon as you move away from those buffs, Correct. they get hurt very much, but your buffs last until your next turn, might only last in my turn. So if you don't manage to clear something out, you can get hit very hard, and um, that's pretty much what happened with Ash, is that I just went into him, didn't yeah. do enough, and just got annihilated. Like, I'd say the one thing as well that your Tomb Kings don't have is it is still... It has the resurrection mechanic, obviously not as good as it used to be, but the armor saves aren't that great. They're very fresh. Whereas, because Corn They're actually very slow without although buffs. Corn's armor saves aren't amazing either. They're better than Tomb Kings. <laughs> they are. They're generally four ups, but because, like you say, most people are always taking... The reason that I'm doing hit. well with them isn't just by overpowering them, though, because I'm using different... I do have different buffs, but I'm also tying people up a lot. Yeah. 
like just certain play styles, things that I I think I could give my list to somebody else and I don't think they would do as well with it because it's catered to the way I like to play. Mm. Whilst they could probably come up with something different that's probably more powerful or whatever. Yeah. But um no. Um Yeah. Um but yeah, who came third? Uh I would check the results. Ethan. Ethan came third. Ethan came third. Yeah. Yeah. He was Stormcast Army, which did really well. Um, yeah. So yeah, he only it was only one loss in that last scenario, which is to me and to be honest, I think I got a bit lucky with the scenario being total commitment and he had a drop down Gavriel short charge list so it kind of helped I played him, was all on the table I played him the week before at a Gamescube event and I did win but I also won all four priorities and if he won the second one I was definitely dead like he had a very strong army like I, I actually thought I was very fortunate to beat him when I did I thought if I played him again that's probably not going to happen uh, he was I was like definitely looking at him as one of the ones who might win that, so I wouldn't have been surprised at all if he did. He did uh, I, do... I think if we played again, he would have beaten me. It was interesting because he didn't do very well at the Games Cube where he took the list the first he time. He played me and then Ash. he did very well, obviously. At, uh, well, yeah, like I said, at Games Cube, he probably War. should have beaten me. It's the dice complete because I had um, my second game at that event. My dice just didn't really so show up. You don't, up from you that don't think game. it's an army that you can just screen because none of it flies. Well, it's more the fact that um, I did screen it. He dropped down, killed my screen, and it gets the turn two priority. And it was a case of if he'd got that turn two priority, I was definitely dead. So you have to almost have to double screen. That's it. what I mean. Yeah, you just yeah. Need um, and not every army can. Do I think every army should be able to screen one wave. And if you don't have that, there's some sort of flaw in your list. But, yeah, um, correct. He hits so hard that you're probably not going to have a couple of models still left just in case. And that's kind of what I bank on with my skaven. I've got a big unit of forty. If they're immune to battle shock for whatever reason. Um, maybe you'll kill 25 go ahead and then you're still stuck there then if I lose priority I can afford to lose it whilst when I played him I was like I really can't afford to lose this turn as it just so happened I went on to win turns 3, 4 and 5 mm. um, sometimes on time which, again I don't think I should have got but yeah. um, if he'd won any one of those priorities I would have lost that game Fair so um, it's also the second time I've played Ethan where I've won all 4 it seems to be yeah, it was, it is um they are strong, like the sequiturs and evocators are just so solid for their points. I've killed just 18 the amount of 20 The sequiturs. amount of re-rolls and everything they can do. The and thought that the they could come back, and it was just, I couldn't, I just left them. Yeah, you don't them. kill them. What If you get that 20, I, I literally left that 20 unit in our game. I was like, I don't care about that unit, it can have my objective. It's going to sit there. Yeah. Because he could... off, you're going to take it back. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why he came at me, I was like, I'll try and create a wall, but then I didn't get the priority when I needed to put the wall in place, so he took it and I just went... Okay, I'll just take yours off you and we can go 3-3. Three, three. That's fine, we'll draw, I'm already ahead. So that that was my plan with that 20 unit. Was I killed his Vexilor so he couldn't teleport it, so it took him two turns to run across the board anyway. But um, I, I was like, okay, I'm never going to kill that unit. It can have my objective. As long as I'm cancelling out here, fine. See, I could have killed it, but he had like three or four command points, and on a five they come back. And, and now they've changed it, but when you played, you can, you can only try it once. So when did that change? They've changed it in the FA. I played in the week before, so that was probably, oh, that was already, probably already in the FAQ. Yeah. I just didn't know about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so that was Gods of War. It was really fun. I enjoyed the weekend, and yeah, was I good. was pleased to finally get another win because I, did better than I, <laughs> like I had not. Actually, it's only the second event I've actually won. Like I've come second, third, and stuff in other events, but I, I did want to try and win, so I was pleased that I did. I feel like I'm probably okay for Masters, um, and I've still got RCGT and Moabs. Mm. Uh, should be okay because I'm gonna. I'm definitely taking Dreadwood to Moab. Um, it's just whether what list I take, and then I'm taking corn. I think I should do reasonably well with the corn list as well. So yeah, um, we'll see. Um, so yeah, let's have a chat about the stats that Honest Wargamer posted. Um, 
So After a break, because I need to pee. Okay, <laughs> we're going to have a break so Dan can pee. And we're back. So, uh, after that, we are now just going to do this final section. Um, we're going to chat through the data from Honest Wargamer, um, which I know was collated by other people, but it's been posted through Honest Wargamer. Presented so by Honest Wargamer. Presented by Honest Wargamer, yeah. So, if you go on the Honest Wargamer Facebook page, you'll find it, or um, Twitter. Um, but it's been doing the rounds, and I know um, Rob's done a show on this data already talking about it, because I think it's really great. Um so we're just going to talk about kind of the some of the, the the top kind of maybe top nine I think um factions that this data suggests and to talk about maybe why they're up there what's strong about them uh and then also maybe whether we think there's some stuff in there that should be higher or should be lower and that yeah I've there's a couple of skews. there's definitely some skews because yes. this is quite a small early um it's also data subset between the um what's it called the FAQ beforehand i think that's why legion of the gash is sitting yeah. at the top so there's that's events... changed dramatically since the faq yeah that's something else that i want to kind of go through um but yeah let's just talk about it. so basically what it breaks down is a number of factions and then it gives a meta percentage which is essentially what percentage of armies at a tournament it makes that up. performance yeah. so when well, it's not the performance it's just how many they're there for? So how many games? How many armies? Yeah, representation. So the most represented army that this data reflects is Legions of Nagash at twelve point two percent, and then it's Stormcast Eternals at eleven point seven. I would have expected Stormcast probably to be the highest, um, but Legions of Nagash. I think the data set is skewing this slightly because I think there was a tournament in the US where a, a gaming club of five of them all took Nagash for a specific reason. Um, I think that data is in this. Data. Oh, so I mean that pre-FAQ and the, tournament yes, if it's as pre -FAQ, well is very heavy with the spell portal. Everyone's taking good. the gash. Um, so it's up there. What I would like to see is legions of Nagash is not a faction. It's a battle tome. So the actual allegiances, grand are host of Nagash. grand host of Nagash, or there could be legion of sacrament, or legion of night, or legion of blood. So I would actually want to see that data split out because I reckon the ones that are actually at the top are the grand host of Nagash. Right. Maybe it's in the sacrament too. Maybe it's, yeah, but I don't think... Ain't you, no Legion of Blood in there. I don't think you'll see Legion of Blood in there. <laughs> That's what the one win um, is. But, um... The no wins is probably Legion of Night. Um, no, I think they'd all get some wins. I actually think Legion of Blood... No, there's one some piece strong... of information where someone got no wins at all. Oh, okay. So, I'm just saying it's um, like, But yeah, so at the moment, um, and then it lists out top 10, so the number of top 10 finishes for those armies, and then the number of 5 plus wins, so effectively winning all 5 games... Um, and then four wins, or three five wins, out two of six wins. If there's more. Yeah, I think if you're doing it this way, I think the data that goes into it should only be probably. I think this is looking at essentially you're talking about a normal tournament meta, I guess. So five games, two k. So it's I, just five plus. It's just the information yeah. that's presented. So I think I can't say what we would do differently. It's just how it is. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, this is obviously very early data, but I think it's great. So I'm just talking about how it could be improved going forward. I think you either want to call include call our data because it's not in there. Yeah, I think you either <laughs> want to call out six games, or you just cap it and say, okay, this is a standard two k five game subset tournament database, and this is reflective of that. So you don't get anything that potentially skews it out a bit. Um, but yeah, Legions and Agash are at the top, and they've got four t fourteen top ten finishes. Five of those being five plus wins. Four of them, uh, four wins is thirteen, and three wins is nineteen. Two wins is twelve, which is still pretty high. 
and then one win though is only one and zero wins is only one. So generally they're pretty consistent. Match win percentage 62%. 62% is the overall win rate as well across all those games for Legion Zagash. So that's putting them at a consistent three to four. Um, but I think that's being pulled down to be honest by the 12-2 wins, um, which I think they're, I think Legion's, I think they're a four yeah. to five. And I think the fact that they've got five they've got five five wins there's only one other faction which is the Daughters of Cain which has five five but then it doesn't have as high four wins three wins two wins but that's because it's got a meta percentage of 5.3 percent less represented but which, higher match win percentage yeah so um, I have, do think Legion of the Gash is one of the older armies that's been kind of brought up to speed I think there's a lot of, sort of hobbyists and people who don't play top tier competitively who will have the army and play it and don't really care how they finish in an event yeah um, so I think it's just a very popular army anyway amongst people of all sections of the hobby. Yeah, but because I, it's full yeah. death, because the Pretty way much, yeah. because the all way all the old stuff still translates to yeah. it. Whilst I think Daughters of Cain, I think you're getting probably more competitive players fielding that because from a hobby point of view, it's not a previous army. It's a small faction that's been expanded yeah. into an army yeah. that is very sort of time-consuming to paint. There's a lot of flesh. There's very complex army to paint well. Um, I'd imagine that you're probably getting more gamers, and that's. I'm sure you get people for the hobby as well, but it, comparatively, you'd get a lot more gamers playing Daughters of Cain. I think, particularly with them being newer. Yeah. Um, and they are very strong. They have a huge combat output. There's quite. There's definitely the two main units that make them strong are undercosted. Two hundred and seventy points for thirty witch elves and sixty points for hag queens. Crazy. They're the strongest army in the game, in my opinion. This data uh, actually helps back yeah. that up because they have the highest match win percentage over something that's not been represented more than once. Yeah. Well, they literally, yeah, they, yeah, they have the highest apart from one outlier, which is literally one person that is a good player that did well with them in one event. Yeah. Um. So this is this is taking kind of your everyone, your every, your average Joe player, and so yeah, I think that seventy-two percent match win percentage is is very telling for Doors. Okay. Um. In third, you've got Maggot Kin of Nurgle, which is 8.8% of the meta, which is quite high, which doesn't surprise me. There's, there was a lot of Maggot Kin out there. It's popular. I think it's a strong army. Um, it's got a 55% um, win ratio, so it's more around the kind of three, um, which I think it's got... I think it, it's definitely four. I think it can do five, if I'm honest. Again, one of the older armies. But a lot of something people that a lot of people have A lot of well. people get it from a yeah. hobby point of view, too. I don't think it's necessarily attractive. Um, I think that's an army that can attract everyone. I think it did attract a lot of competitive players, though, when it came out. I mean, Dave Kerr took Nurgle, um, Tom Holdsworth took Nurgle. They're very competitive, strong armies when you look at it, because they've got resilience. They're now incredibly fast. They can do mortal wounds. They've got lots of bodies. Yeah, I mean, I'd say this is probably more representative of the recent balance, because if you look at the top few... Legends in the Gash is a new book from this year. Doors of the Cain is a new book from this year. Magikin and Nurgle is a new book from this year, sort of end of last year. Uh, Iron of Deepkin is a new book from this year. Yeah. Disciples of Teach is a book they've ne- never got right and still don't. So it's um, Stormcast Eternals are a new book from this year. It's kind of a um, balanced representation too over Zeech have obviously been pegged down a bit. But um, yeah. even then, the there'll be a couple of Zeech lists pre-FAQ um, where that portal's a lot better than it is now. Um, some of the Ender Spells too. Uh, it's. I think this is for me. I'm looking at it rather than a top competitive meta sort of thing because, like you said, there's one person who did incredibly well with Phoenix Temple. This is one person. Yeah. Um, I the, think the data these, set's not big enough. Even so, it's what you're collecting. It doesn't represent competitiveness necessarily. It's just usage. So yeah. Um, it does show results and sort of yeah. performance to a certain degree. But you could have like 
casual players who don't care whether you yeah. play a shoe or just there for fun can still play a top tier army and lose. Yeah. Like, I, and I think to be fair, apart from Dual, most of them are are actually around the kind of fifty, slightly above fifty percent. Yeah, they are. Which actually means for every person that can win five games, there's a person that can win no games. For every person that's a well, four, what it also doesn't surprise four me and one. is if you look at the in the top part of the army, the only ones that don't have zero wins and don't have one win are the two brand new armies where you literally just run forwards to play them, and that's I don't know, Deepkin and Dolls of Cain. So they don't have what sorry? Oh, the no they don't wins. have any zero wins. They don't have yeah. any one wins. Out of all the top armies, actually have a decent representation. Yeah, they're true. the only ones, and the way that you play those armies is you yeah. run forwards. So Deepkin and Daughters actually they're very simple playstyles. What this tells you is if you take Daughters of Cain or Deepkin, you will win at least two. By just by running forwards. Just by like, taking that army, you will. Yeah. You just will win. Yeah. two games you can still play like a suboptimal list and not I'll try and do something different with them they yeah. do have a few different builds where you can try and mix it up a little bit but in terms of yeah. that, I don't see, think you're going to see many sort of Daughters of Cain I think Daughters of Cain or... can be more more reliable than Deepkin I think Deepkin I is think just eel smash reflect. and once you if you can I think there's more to Deepkin than that but that's what people are doing yes I think but that's what I mean all the builds that we're seeing at the moment are eel smash and I think if you took if you can deal with it then I think that that's why um, they're not. They've got two five wins, whereas Doors have got five five wins. They literally just run forwards. Um, yeah, and they yeah, if, the damage if you output the from Doors properly, and the damage output's very high. Um, and but they're also super resilient if you're taking Hagnar, which I think is the strongest. Yeah, by far, um, not even close. So yeah. they're they're very resilient with it's high. To lose they're very resilient that. with high body count, and they can run and charge. They're also very fast, and potentially you can treat. Um. The no. sisters of you don't need to because you can just fight in your hero phase using command yeah, points. Yeah, and you can fight, fight anyway. hero You don't even need to do that. Yeah. So they're very strong um, for those reasons. Disciples of Zinch, I think uh, they're up there from a meta percentage because of, I think, previous hangover from the old edition where they were very popular. I also think, again, pre-FAQ, that portal. And the portal would have pushed them up there, yeah. Um, but I still think there's some strength in the book. Uh, Enlightened is still very good. I think you're going to start seeing more big units of Enlightened, like nine Enlightened replacing the old nine Skyfire. Um, and Acolytes are incredibly good for 80 points for Battle Line, um, especially if you take them in a Witchfire Coven, which I think you'll start seeing. Zangor is still incredibly Zangor strong. Zangor is still very good as well. Uh, they still have the best Allegiance ability in the game. Like If you run in charge with Zangor, like, I'm going to use two sixes to do a 12-inch charge. No one else can do that. Like, and um, also now that you can auto six a run using a command point as well if you wanted to, not yeah. even a destiny dice. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it's um, pretty good. Um, so, yeah, they're up there. Stormcaster up there, eleven point seven percent because yeah, they're they're the poster boys. They've been around from the beginning. They're so, the biggest one where there's a lot of new players who yeah. are very and new to the game will be playing that. Fifty two percent win yeah. rate, so it's fifty fifty basically, which I think is probably reflective. I think they're around a mid table. Uh, I think there's of, a very strong list you can do with Oh, there them. are strong lists, but I also think you find with Stormcast a lot of people can also do quite badly with them. Um, yeah, it's such a huge range. Well, so if you look at Deepkin and Dolls of Cain, it's a very small yeah. range, but there's some specific things you pretty much have to take that are just very, very good. Whilst for Stormcast, you can just take... They have such a broad range, you can yeah. take pretty much anything. I mean, um, these stats suggest it's a lower side of three, because um, they've got more two wins, one wins, then they do four wins, five wins. Uh, Again, so, I'm thinking new players will gravitate to Stormcast a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's reflective of how competitive they can be, because I think in terms of competitiveness, they can easily win a tournament. Um, I think so. That's what I think limits this sort of information well, that's been collated. Yeah. I, th- um, it, that's, I think once we get more data, it will definitely help. But, I mean, this is saying at the moment... Well, I, I don't think that will change. You can keep 
getting as much information as possible, there's still going to be an army where a lot of new people will take them, not really care about performance, and still not do very well, which is going to mm. pull the numbers down. I just mean in terms of looking at the five plus wins column, because I think that's where that's where the meta, that's the important part. So Legions is up there with five, Daughters is up there with five, then it drops down to two, two, two. This is only saying, of all these tournaments that have gone into this, only one Stormcast army has won five games. Mm. So I, I don't think... There's they're not up there as strong or consistent. I think that's very important information for competitiveness, but the match win percentage, I think, is almost yeah. redundant because yeah. you're looking at everyone. Yeah, So I agree. Um, that, if anything, I, I think you need to look at the first... Down. You look at the first three columns, really. Yes, the top tens, so the fives and the fours, um, and that's how it's ranked. It's ranked on top fives and then top uh, top tens, then fives. So that's what it's saying. Legions and Agashas at the top because it's most consistent. It's got 14 top 10 fin- 10 top 10 finishes from doors. Again, I don't know about the data size of the actual tournaments, though, because you might there might be, for all I know, a 16-player tournament in here. So 10 of those 16 places are top 10, which is not as representative of a 50- or 100-player tournament. So Who knows? Um, but I think the data, like being in this format, is really cool. Um, I do think it would be good to have Legions and Nagash actually split into the proper allegiance abilities so into grand host into sacrament night blood soul blight um for example and then yeah just more more data going from there corn's up there i think corn will rise more i think they're going to jump a few and more yeah um silver f i think we'll you can see they've got one top five they've got one five wins and then they've got four four place wins but i think well, i think moment, it, I mainly, you alone will bump them up for yeah i think it's mainly dreadwood but yeah and then nighthaunt which is cool coming in i think they're strong um i think they're They've got quite a high meta represent like ret- meta percentage of five point seven percent. Um so does corn, so does Sylvaneth at six percent, six point two percent. So that's all quite high actually. Um so I think it's cool. This is basically telling you that if you go to a tournament, the most common armies as well will be like what I find is interesting is the meta percentage generally is I the most common very high armies. and they're not that high up. Yeah, they're they're basically the one anomaly. And Seraphon actually very much surprises me. Um I think we definitely need to get some Australian results in for Seraphon um, because there's definitely... the Seraphon can win five games. The data for this does not suggest that Seraphon are a particularly strong army and I completely disagree with that. But it's very early data. Um, so I guess what I'd say to anyone, if you're a TO, is when you host your event, try and, if you can, get summary information at the end that has, by faction, just the number of wins that each faction got across the... And how many players... As long as you publish it. Um, For anyone in Australia, I am actually going to take it upon myself to compile an equivalent database of Australian tournaments. I will make it so that they have to be 2K events and at least 24 players. Well, maybe that's not... Maybe 24 players isn't quite... Maybe 20. We just did an event for 22, and I think that was definitely representative of the meta. That's what I mean. Probably the most competitive event we've had. It's it's what what number that five wins determines it. The thing is, because there's been a couple of Sydney tournaments among our group, where the most difficult tournaments I've had have been less than 24 people. Yeah. Whilst if you go to a bigger event like Cancard, it really is look of the draw. You can go five games against five relatively unknowns, or you can get five horrible games back to back to back to back whilst if you go to smaller tournaments with yeah. all the competitive players are there you can't avoid them you're playing them like, I think end of. I, I basically I think anything with 16 plus can go in because it's 16 players so that's what you need to score yeah. ranking points in the Australian meta so I think yeah. that should be the representation okay. so yeah I will I will put this together and it's got points it, will be, it will be something I host 
on the Mortally Wounded website. So if you have run an event, I think I'll do it from the start of AOS 2 anyway, um, although kind of probably want post-portal, but then there's not going to be that much data. But basically, I'll kind of start it from now. Um, I don't think we had any tolerance before the portal. Yeah, well, Sydney. So I'll start it from Gods of War. So Liam's event um, is probably the first one. But obviously, there's been other events in the other states. So if you're an Australian listener and you are... Um, you know of an event that's been 16 plus players, five rounds, 2,000 points, and you can get the, if you're the TO or you know the TO and you can get the data for that tournament, um, you don't have to do all the cleaning up just as long as I can determine the factions and the number of wins um, and all of that information from it. I'll do the work and I will build up an equivalent database for Australia and I will also provide all of that information to Rob at the Honest Wargamer so that he can incorporate it into the global because um, I think that I think it's really cool. I love looking at the data and looking at what it is, seeing what the meta percentage is and stuff like that. And I think it'll be cool to see if there are differences around the world, but also then see what the global kind of outlook is. Because uh, I think it's something, the top 10 percentage and the number of five plus wins, I think once you get a big data set, you can literally look at it and go, okay, these are the most powerful books, if it's consistent, um, which... I think I'm not surprised how much armies are up there. It should help every year when Games Workshop do the new points adjustments and things like that. It should help them to look at that. Well, they should look at it really and go, okay, these are the armies, maybe making us a lot a of bit money. too strong, or <laughs> um, or they don't need any help. Yeah. Um, and that, like, at the end of the day, if you're going to be going through and making points, and you're seeing Daughters of Cain are constantly, up, you go, mm, maybe Witch Elves and Hag Queens could bump up. 50 points on the Witch Elves and 40 points on the Hag Queen. Double the Hag Queen, 60, 120. Um, but, but yes, even then, like maybe you just go, okay, we'll do that. And then you. Even for 320, Witch and Elves would be a steal. You're going through the points. I'd still win five games. And then you're going through the points on Darkling Covens and you're like, oh, they can't win any games. Maybe we should make their points cheaper. So I don't think they want people to win Darkling Covens. <laughs> but point in case, for an example, I've went on Honest War Game and spoke about my Skaven army and they nerfed everything I spoke about. So I don't think they want people to be doing well with these older armies. I think if they'd upgrade them and then update them like they're doing the new Beast of Chaos army, then maybe they want them to do well. But I actually would imagine they'll look at this information and be pretty satisfied looking at what armies are at the top of it. That's probably what they want. If so, I'm honest, you're probably right. It makes me a little I don't think they want the balance game. It makes me a bit sad inside. I would hope that they would... Oh, definitely not. As long as... Well, I get what you're saying. That They are a company at the end of the day. They're going to release stuff and think they're going to want people to buy their new models. And yes, I do think there's an aspect of they are fully aware of when they release an undercosted unit and they will be sold. Colonel Thunters, start Silver Neth, everybody fucking spammed them, then they put the points up once they've already sold enough. Probably too far. Skyfires, yeah. exactly the same thing. Uh, now it's happening with Eels for the Deepkin. I haven't got up yet. No, because they're just waiting they for people to buy them and get a tournament scene out, like a, like a season done, and then in the next handbook, because everyone's going, Eels are too cheap, they'll go, oh, sorry guys, we want the game to be balanced, we'll put them, but... There's definitely that time that's long enough for people to go, okay, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to spam it, and I'm going to do this. But as long as we get to the point where they've redone enough of the books and enough of the ranges where they're becoming consistent, it should at least help keep the meta open so that you don't still just have three armies that are just too strong compared to the other things. Yes, I think that's definitely the case right now. I think Dodgers are getting ahead and shoulders above everybody. Um... Make Hagnar models in range, not units in range, and that fixes everything, mm. in my opinion. So. Oh, yeah, I think just points adjustments, <laughs> to be fair, on which elves and Hagnar. Not that just the enough. points, I think Hagnar needs to change. Mm. 
because it's fundamentally because they already have an amazing ability of real hits it just yeah. muddles and range of the cauldron it's interesting though because I don't think many people are, uh, elsewhere are actually playing Hacknar so I'd be interested to see what results they're getting in here like Drake Chikaneth like Sam I think down in um, Victoria has been doing quite well Drake Chikaneth I think they're strong um, and then Calebron are good as well I think Calebron are weaker than Drake Chikaneth and Hagnar but, but yeah. I think most people in the UK were taking for example they're mm-hmm. taking quite a lot of snakes and they're taking like yeah Calebron I'm just saying which like, I agree I don't think it's the strongest competitively the strongest competitive list is Hagnar by far that's all I'm saying I think that's um, they can do point adjustments and that would fix Calebron that would fix Drake Chikaneth it wouldn't fix Hagnar. For Hagnar, they need to fix It would still make Hagnar better than the They're others. still head yeah. and shoulders above the others, yeah. by far. Um, well, if you look at Deepkin, they've got very interesting like, is it enclaves they have. What they yeah. they're, they're very varied. They're very playstyle specific. There's not really a standout, but they're all useful in their own way. Like, yeah. Much more balanced representation. The only problem at the moment one. is whenever you build a list, you'd go through and you go power for points. It is just the eels. I read a list yesterday which had no offensive eels, and I think that could do really well. So, But yeah, they're the obvious choice. But sometimes I think people go with the obvious choice, and it's not always the best choice. Mm. But um, when you say, I wrote a list, and I think choice. it could do well, yeah. if you didn't, I'm going to say handicap yourself, if you went, okay, if I just want to be, what is the best thing, what could I take, you would change that list and put eels in. Probably not, because I think I could win with... But it's not handicapping. That's not what I'm saying. It's not handicapping, though, because I don't think I would change that. Because I was looking at because I keep seeing of Deepkin in general, everyone's taking the aspect of the sea, Idol, and I think that's the wrong choice. I think the other one's way better. The other one does a lot more damage. Voltaire I think people like having way better wizards. Than the king. Oh, the, um, yeah, everyone knows that. But I, I would just, if you could have um, the aspect of the sea with a regular king, or you could have Alternus with the other Idol, and for the same points, I would never pick the aspect of the sea. Just don't see the... It's because he's a wizard. And he has a very good spell, and wizards are important. With a very limited range, wizards and very are... hard to cast, so no. So I, I wouldn't personally, that's what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. sometimes I think that's the obvious thing people are doing, they're looking at his spell, they're looking at what he can do. I, I just wouldn't ever do... That's just something in that book that I would never yeah. write. Oh, I definitely... The other one is, I think, better, because you look at him and you go, does more damage, you. buffs stuff, including himself, does more damage, retreats and charges, heals when he does it. He is very, very, very good. Yeah, for, it's so I, I think things get missed all the time, but the, the obvious choice is not always the best choice, is the point I'm trying to make. I mean, if, in terms of, I mean, I've spoke to you about this before, in terms of how they're writing books now, the ones I have the biggest problem with are Daughters of Cain and Deepkin, because they literally are just enabling you just to run forwards the way they've written their rules, because they're so limited in terms of their range, they kind of have to give it a bit more um, leniency with certain rules, but... Um, I don't think Daughters are limited in their range, I think they've got an amazing range. In terms of the number of models they have, is what I mean. But look at Stormcast with the Doors of Cain. They've got yeah, this small army that they've expanded into like its own army, but it's still very yeah, limited. But I mean, um, I wouldn't compare Stormcast. I think it helps as well. We look at compared to Corn, compared cash. to Nurgle, compared to Legions of the Cash, it's much smaller. That's my point. But yeah, uh, I yeah. just think the way that they've written their playstyle is um, like because I, I started the Doors of Cain army and I didn't finish it just because I was like, this is boring. Like, there's not enough to play with in terms of mixing things up. There's a one very obvious playstyle. Like, it's winning with it didn't feel rewarding. I just felt like I just moved. There's uh, certain elements of that you have to be aware of, like target selection, obviously, keeping things in range, the different sort of buffs you're putting on. Um, I just thought it was way not remotely challenging, so it yeah. wasn't fun. So okay. I think Deepkin, I think I would have the same problem, because even though I, still, I, don't, I think Deepkin are very beatable, um, I still felt like the way to do it would be hang back the first turn a little bit, then run forwards with more incredibly fast units, hit people, and then the third yeah. round just try and finish them off. That's the only real way that they can play. Yeah. Um, they can I have think, like, like I shooting. think, yeah. think Daughters beat Deepkin every time. 
Yeah, me too. I think they do the same thing, just others do it better because they they can hit you like a truck. Even, and if, the eels, even yeah. if the eels hit and completely even wipe out, even if they ignore out, end, doesn't matter. Even if they hit and completely wipe out one thirty of which elves, the next thirty will kill every one of just those. Kill the whole army. Yeah. yeah. Um, out of the two of them. Yeah. And uh, then, well, the cauldron. The, the thing with Marathi cauldron too, on its own can probably Marathi's do enough. Marathi can do it on her own. Marathi's heart uh, thing, the no shooting thing with people. Those sort of rules they've been writing recently, I'm completely against, and I really hope they don't continue that pattern and they start right making things more interesting. But the Night Haunt's an excellent book. Mm. There's very. Uh, wide range of choices in that book yep. nothing is a given like yep. you have to play well and you have to play smart to do that and it, it would be rewarding to win um, Deepkin I think out the, like you said out the two of them are probably the ones that um, they're still kind of fixated into a certain play style but they're harder to win with I think once if the eels go up in points and the alapexes and the turtles come down in points you'll start seeing them more yeah I think so too because um, that's what needs to happen I want alapexes the Al- <laughs> and I, yeah, I would love to see more of them because they are my favourite model from the, the range, range by far. I'm still planning um, on making a Skaven Warp Lightning Cannon out of a, a shark with a laser beam on its head. <laughs> just get a laser pointer. Just be... I should put a glue a laser pen. Do I have line of sight? Yes, I do. <laughs> see you, there's a dot. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, but yeah, anyway, in terms of this data, I think it's really cool. We're not going to go through it in crazy, crazy detail. I think that's enough. We've kind of pointed out the tops, but I think the reason. Long story short, the army's GW wants you to buy her at the top of the list. But yeah, I think it's I think it's useful um, for that kind of reason, and people can make their own decisions on it, and at least it tells you as well what the meta percentage is as well. So it's interesting that Deepkin are as much as we might be like, oh, they're busted and they they've got this really high, they're really strong, they win lots of their games. That's a really fun. They're only too. They're only three. Steve. Your event, he had a really cool army, it was really fun, really well painted. Yeah. But they're only 3.8% of the meta, which is what I think is good as well, is that's why I do think the meta percentage is useful on here as well, is because this is telling you, like, Iron Jaws, 6.7%, that's probably the fourth highest represented faction, but it doesn't mean that it's good, like, it's mid. And that, I think, is literally just coming from the fact that it's got more representations, it's got more games, so it's going to appear in this list. It's good to see you. I also think they're one as well of the one of the first armies for Age of Sigma, where they've been very much uh, taken like a concept from a previous fantasy army and just kind of expanded upon like the Black Orc side. Yeah. The old Orc army into its own range enough, and they seem to be going away from. I'm really, really pleased to see the Beastman book is combining. Yeah. Thunderscore and with yeah, I want them to do more. Well, I think no they've, one, seen... they've had overwhelming feedback about separating all the yeah. factions up, so it looks like they're kind of starting to address yeah. that now. And, and maybe think... you'll get around to some of the older armies. I think the fact that Legions of Nagash, as well, even though it's got loads of different individual allegiances in it, each allegiance can basically take any from the book. There's a lot of choice. So, yeah, it's definitely a good move. And that's why I think Maggot Kin, Zinch, They could have stuck with Death Rattle and Death Majors and super... Dead Walkers, and they didn't. Yeah. But I think that's why all the four Chaos Gods. Because there's so many unit choices for all of them, because you can just take any of Slaves to Darkness with the mark, it can include it. All the mark demons the of everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really cool. Um, it'll be interesting to see Hostess Lanesh go up um, in the meta percentage. Literally, as they release inevitably the new book, they're at one point four percent at the moment. They will jump up to around that five six percent, I imagine. Um, I think so too. I think that'd be good to and see. Moon. I really hope Beastmen go up there too. I really like yeah. to see them do well. Same with Beast. Uh, same with Moon Clan. They're at one point two percent. I think they will jump up massively if a book comes out. When um, a book comes out, I still, I coming. still don't actually think it will be Moon Clan for the specific reason of not wanting to create these mini factions. What I actually hope it is is Battletome Grots 
and that it's all the grot units. So you've got Spider Fang, you've got Moon Clan, you've got Git Mob. That'd be best. Everything so. in one book, and it will be Moon Clan is like a temple. So they'll be the equivalent of Hagnar, and then Drake Chickenet. Like you've got Moon Clan, you've got Spider Fang, you've got. The only reason I think that might not be the case is because they are definitely releasing releasing new models for that range. What's Legion of the Gash? They didn't. Beast yeah. when they're not, they haven't released anything. New I think they do the need spells. to release new models for any of the grots anyway, though, because a lot of them. Well, are the point is they are releasing something new, so they could have yeah. an entirely different faction we've not even heard of. So, yeah. Um, well, there's, yeah, they're definitely going along the mushroomy aesthetic. Um, Stoners, but I, I think it would be grots. cool if they just did Magic Mushroom Battle grots. Tome Grots. I think that'd be cool too, just a um, goblin army. And rules. I think Moon Clan would be an allegiance in that. But I think they basically need to do the allegiance. Do they still need Moon Clan if they do that? You see, if you look at the Legions on the Gash, they don't need Death Rattle anymore. They do. Um, oh, I'm just saying, well, no, because they've replaced it with Legion of Sacrament, Legion of Night, Legion of Blood. That's based on the. The Mortarchs. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Not the previous doctrines. Like, they're based off. Um, there's no Death Rattle in there. Yeah. So oh, well. maybe. Who knows? But yeah, anyway, that's what I'd like to see. But um yeah, I think for now we will call it a wrap on that episode. So yeah, once again, if you are a TO or someone that can get the results for any Australian games that are Aren't they all ranked in five of four anyway? Yeah. Not you wouldn't get the wins for the armies uh, for that. You don't yeah, get the true. detail. So if you are a TO that has the results for any two K AOS 2.0 tournament with 5 plus game um, then send them through to me at chris at mortallywoundedpodcast.com and I will collate the equivalent spreadsheet which I will host on mortallywoundedpodcast.com um, up there permanently I'll host that up there so people can check it at any point and I will also feed that data to Rob Symes at the Honest Wargamer so that he can get it incorporated into the overall data so Thanks, Dan, for coming on the show again. No um, well done on being. I want to be back for episode thirteen. Well done on being the bridesmaid again, yeah. and um, yeah, I think the next time we catch up will probably be two more tournaments will be done because in the next three weeks we'll have done RCGT three and we'll have done um, Sydney GT at Moab. So yep, yeah, hopefully we'll have quite a lot to talk about next time we come back. So thanks for listening, guys.